objectively rank every single album ever released in one single tiered list. I'm your host, Josh Dollar, and with me today is the vivacious and overall quality human being who shares music opinions very well, Jared Richard. Jared, how you be? Um, you know, I have a general definition, like a general, like a, a colloquial sort of like passing uh-huh. understanding of what the word vivacious means, but I don't have like a proper textbook definition of it in my head. Uh, vivacious is just, like, full of life, full of energy. Yeah. Uh, like, vitality. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that's not a word for me, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate the sentiment, but I am not a vivacious human being. I don't know what you're talking about. You're so full of life and energy every single time I ever I, I just, talk to you. I store it up and then uh, release it when you're around. Oh, right. It's just a for me thing. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh as always, you know, you can find uh, this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, kind of anywhere that you can find podcasts. Uh, and if you can rate and review it on however you're listening to the podcast, we highly appreciate it. Uh, let's other people who are not just our friends and families know about it and gets the word out there. And as always, share it with people that you think uh, would be interested in it. Uh, Jared, how's, how's it been? It's been like, uh, it's been like two weeks. Uh, hasn't it? It's always been two weeks, it's, hasn't it's it? <laughs> there, there or thereabout. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty good. Uh, got a new rug. Yeah. And a new chair. And a new chair. And they were both, uh, hell of a deals. I like the rug a lot. It's, it's very good for a recording studio. Yeah. Like recording I, room I wanted rug. some, I do wish that it was more white than off white, but mm. uh, you know, I'll live with it. I just wanted something that like, you know, I got these colored lights and I wanted something that would kind of, I don't know. Help out. Yeah. Something that wouldn't clash with those too badly. Yeah. I mean, it's just already lived into the like 40 years of cigarette smoke and beer, uh, right. beers. Yeah. Being, yeah. It, it's pre-worn in. That's just think about it that way. Uh, a pro tip that I learned from, uh. I learned from a coworker is that a surprising place to find uh, steals of deals on area rugs is Wheeler Dealer. <laughs> so I actually was just having a conversation with another friend about how they really like uh, going to Wheeler Dealer to get vegan food because apparently there's when there is vegan food there, it's really high quality vegan food for super fucking cheap. Like they just they don't always have it, but when they have it, you can stock up on stuff. Really? Yeah interesting Which well is... we did we popped in there and the first thing i saw was it was like uh oh, what was it? it was like 10 uh jalapeno peppers for a dollar or something like right, that yeah. <laughs> and it was like what, 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 what? what's <laughs> happening over here is this 1930 <laughs> yeah no so that's okay so now i have to make a trip to that store because like damn damn nice rug type, yeah type no thing, with, so. uh uh, after, uh, first of the month, we're definitely going to be swinging back there and getting one for the, like, uh, we're going to get one for the hallway, might get a new one for the living room, and I'm going to get a second one to go in here. Oh, hell yeah. Uh. There you go. Yeah. R- rug March, right? Rug- that's what they, that's what they say. Rug March. <laughs> I was, uh, that reminds me. Yeah. Sorry, I'll get to asking you how you've been in It's a okay. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> uh that reminds me I was I was thinking the other day about the the concept of spring cleaning and how for like a long time I was like that's like the dumb like why wouldn't you just clean throughout the year <laughs> Right yeah and then I was like 
you know, I like not like I've done any research into like, you know, how humans lived in previous generations, but uh, just my understanding of how people lived. It makes sense to sort of go through winter with just not going outside and yeah. not doing anything like uh, really, really leaning into our mammalian roots and just mm-hmm. being like winter is a time to avoid doing things as much as possible. Right. Basically hibernating. <laughs> yeah. Hi- yeah. Uh, winter is for hibernation. And I'm not going to fucking clean all winter. I don't care. Yeah. It's hibernation season. I am going to put on like three sweaters uh, and I am not going to go outside because it will literally kill me. Yeah. And uh, we're just going to drink ciders and uh, and and eat uh, preserved pumpkin. Yeah. In guts for <laughs> and just uh, hunker down for the for the next three to five months. Yeah. And then uh, and then when we when we are allowed to be released into the wild, then we'll pull out all the rugs and beat them. Then we'll, right. Then yeah. we'll do the dishes. Yeah, and the, I'm like, three to five and I'm like, of dishes we, we really, got, yeah. we really got to get back to that, man. We're no, seriously, we, we, yeah. re- we really got to just stop doing you know, things like, during winter. Honestly, like that should be the next political platform is that we just don't for three months out of the year. We just don't. Yeah, we work for nine months, and then from like November to January, we just don't. We just don't. We just don't. And it'd be so easy to pitch it in America. It's like, what if capitalism for just three, like unadulterated capitalism it's like, for like, three months. You don't have to worry. You'll still get paid, so like, you'll still be able to spend it, but then you don't got to work, so that's just more time for you to go spend that money. It, it's like The Purge, but it makes sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, The Purge also makes sense when you view it through the lens of uh, anti-capitalist dystopian hellscape that they originally pitched at, and then the marketing for it was like, what if you could just how, kill your neighbors? <laughs> how ironic that it like sort of devolved into this... like. Uh, <laughs> continuously ongoing uh uh fucking ip oh yeah no it's <laughs> where it's like oh there's a there's a seventh purge now yeah. it's kind of getting into like, kind of milking that aren't it's they it's kind of getting into like aliens jaws territory where it's just like i don't know if i don't know if we need another one of these don't watch anything after aliens right alien is amazing aliens is spectacular Everything after that is hot garbage. How have you been this week, Josh? I've been all right. Uh, I did the probably the biggest adult thing I've ever done as a person. Uh, I bought a car. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I had never done that before because I was lucky enough to be in situations where I got grandfathered vehicles. Right. Um, and just due to life circumstances happening, I kind of had to uh, get it quickly. So mm-hmm. – uh, I went from like not looking at cars to looking at like 10 cars in the span of like three days. Mm. Uh, and the I landed on wanting a, a Ford Focus hatchback because like low key, I think they look amazing as vehicles. Mm-hmm. And also it's the Northwest. So like hatchbacks are uh, hatchbacks are the, the, the best vehicle. Yes, they I'm are. Just, like, yeah. Wagons are uh, wagons close second. Wagons are good. Wagons are good, but like that little compact, but you can still carry everything. Fantastic, dude. Yeah. Let me inform you real quick that there, for a very short period in the '90s, existed a two-door Toyota Rav4. So picture a hatchback as a coupe. I want one so bad. <laughs> I want one so bad. My brain is just like, man, the 90s were kind of a mistake, weren't they? <laughs> it looks so what I like I didn't know they existed until I was taking delivery one day and there was one in the in the driveway that I passed and I was like, what is that? Right, yeah. It your brain it doesn't like you it just hurts ha- your brain to look at. Yeah, no, for sure. That just like uh, everything about that doesn't make sense. But yeah, so I went from like 
looking at a few things, looking at one that I really liked, mm-hmm. and then they were. I was like, yeah, there's just like a little bit of a thing going on with the uh, transmission from like a standing start, but like I'm sure it's nothing. And they're like, yeah, we'll get someone to come out and look at it. And then they called me the next day, and they're like, yeah, so the technician came out and. Uh, the transmission is bad, and it's like a three-month wait to get a new one, so we're not selling that to you. And I was like, ooh, okay. And he's like, yeah, also, just a heads up, Ford Ford, Ford fucked up. Well, Ford knowingly fucked up and actively put bad transmissions into every oh. single Fiesta in focus yeah. from 2012 <laughs> so like, to 2016. So they're like, look for another one? Amazing. Yeah, and I was like— Four years, huh? Yeah, um, and so then I did more research, and basically what it is is that— they attempted to make the automatic transmission kind of manual in some senses, but they didn't get like the software calculations correct on it. Oh, on like the the brains that uh, control the automatic shifting because right. it's supposed to be this like so there's like a time. auto shifty like it, it's like a dual clutch thing mm-hmm. where there's two. I don't. I I ba- barely know what I'm talking about, but like basically there's two different transmission clutches and one is supposed to engage with the other one instead of having the transmission have to switch gears in one line it can like switch back and forth so it's supposed to be like smoother okay type thing a little bit more of like a manual feeling right thing um but they the software was not good enough and they didn't lubricate the transmissions well enough And so all of those cars started getting uh, transmission problems. There's there was a class action, uh-huh. and in that class action, they found out they're like, "Oh, you guys knew that this was going to be a problem, and you you put it in anyways. Cool." So now there was a. I don't know how long it's going to be open, but an open settlement where if you own a Focus, you can just, if you had to pay for repairs on your transmission, you can just add your name to the settlement and you'll get Damn. compensated. Some some compensation of yeah. some form. Uh, it, it goes up to like Ford is required to replace your car if you paid for enough transmission replacements. Um, and then they had they were forced to extend their like factory warranty on the transmission and this transmission software mm. as like part of the settlement and whatnot so i went ahead and purchased a 2014 ford focus hatchback in black with 53000 miles but i i literally saw it the start of one day and by the end of that day i owned it it was like the most whirlwind thing wow. i think i've ever done in my entire life yeah uh, and all of it felt fake, <laughs> where it was just like, surely I cannot just like purchase a car that's like ten grand right now, even though I have uh, a down payment. Right. Surely this credit union isn't going to say, oh, they said yes. Oh, they said yes. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, oh, so I guess that means like I have to get insurance, but surely I can't just get insurance. <laughs> I, I'll I'll call them and see if I can get it, but surely I can't get it in like the next two hours. Oh, I got it in, in half an hour. Right. Well, surely I can't like find someone to go out because it was out in a uh, Dallas, and it's like surely I can't f- have someone last minute change their plans. Oh, I I can I can. <laughs> oh, I guess I'm going home with this today. <laughs> You're uh, like you're like. There's gonna be a wrench in the system at exactly, some point. Yeah. There's gotta be a timing issue with the transmission at some. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's gotta be bad code. Yeah. In this. There's gotta be something going on. And like, there is a little bit, and it's only it is also only going from like a standing start, and it's really not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Like, I I have an appointment set up to look at it, and they're like, yeah, we just need to verify that that's what's going on, and we'll fix it. Don't worry right. about it. Um, but yeah, so 
I own a car now, <laughs> nice. which is like a weird thing. It's nice, but it's real weird. It's real weird to be like, oh, I'm an adult who has like student loan payments and a car payment. Ooh. Wow. So I feel very fancy. So that's kind of the big thing that happened in the last like two weeks, really, uh, uh, that, that I got going on. I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, I, I had another little issue, which uh, is why I couldn't uh, help you uh, with moving stuff. Right. Um, oh, yeah. I remember this. I was taking a shower, and I went to turn the water off, and it didn't turn... It turned off, like, 90% of the way. Right. And uh, we got one of the... It's like a single handle that you turn it all the way to cold, and it turns off, mm-hmm. and you can turn it all the way the other direction, and you're getting 100% hot water. Yeah. Uh, and because of our the size of our water heater, basically, anytime you're taking a shower, you end with it all the way up. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> I went to go turn off the shower realized that it only turned off like 90% of the way and I couldn't like crank it anymore. Right. And so I was like, huh, that's weird. And I turned it all the way back to full blast for some fucking reason. You're like, surely I I just got to go again. And then I turn it back to turn off and nothing changes. It just stays on full blast. Oh, shit. 100% hot water, <laughs> which is, it wasn't hot anymore, but it right. was just, you know, the water was going into the water heater and then straight out of the water heater. Right. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, this is not good. <laughs> and so I pop out of the shower. I've got a towel wrapped around my waist, and I'm, like, digging through my toolbox to uh, get everything I need to, like, pop this open and hopefully be able to, like, get in there with a pair of pliers and crank the thing down. Right. Uh, and <laughs> I was not able to do that. Right. Basically, I got the thing off, started turning the shaft with a pair of pliers, and it was just free spinning. And oh, I'm like, no. oh, yeah, basically, I'm like, okay, so the only way to fix this is to actually take the whole mechanism out of the pipes in the wall. Uh, we have to call our landlord. Oh, it's Saturday. We can't call our landlord. Well, fuck. Guess we'll call him on Monday. <laughs> and we and I run outside, turn the water off. I had to turn the water heater off. Right. Then we forgot that Monday was President's Day. <laughs> fuck. So we went like two and a half days without uh, uh, without any water. We just well, I would run out and turn the water on for emergencies. Right. You know, somebody had to go poo poo. Yeah. <laughs> that that was it. Shit. Yeah. That's uh. That's fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> that was very frustrating. Welcome to adulthood, man. I feel yeah. like that's a very good explanation of adulthood. But yeah, oh, I forgot there was there was one downside uh, to my car. Oh, uh, yeah. As I said, transmission's not really a big problem. Uh, remember how I said like I accidentally got into golf again as uh-huh. a person. Right. Uh, the 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 golf clubs don't neatly fit into the trunk of the car and so that means i have to find somewhere else to store them which means i have to put golf clubs in my house Damn. and that is like a barrier i never wanted to cross <laughs> like i didn't want to be one of those people that like i wanted my dirty secret my like dirty dirty secret right. to, to stay hidden from view but now well right because i remember a few episodes back we were talking about how like uh you know team sports uh generally you have like a bunch of people that are like community communally sharing a field versus yeah. like things like tennis where you have like a maximum of two people taking up a huge amount of space right then we got golf over here we got mr golf man yeah <laughs> Let's not get into it. No, it's fine. But you know what? Let's get into the music we're going to be talking about today. Let's do it. Uh, We're going to be starting with The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars uh, by David Bowie. The Bowman. Yeah. uh, Otherwise known uh, colloquially as the male St. Vincent. (laughs) (laughs) So good. 
so this album uh, from David Bowie was released uh, June 16th, 1972. It was released by RCA, and it was his second uh, album on RCA, mm-hmm. but his fifth studio album overall. Uh, and so the people who were on it is David Bowie. Uh, he was an arranger, composer, did guitar, uh, primary artist, saxophone vocals. Mm-hmm. Trevor Boulder was the bassist. Ron Davis was also a composer. Uh, Dana Gillespie uh, did background vocals mm-hmm. um, on a song. Uh, Mick Rodson, sorry, Ronson, Mick Ronson was an arranger, uh, considered a guest artist, uh, did guitar, pianos, and vocals. And then Mick Woody Woodmancy did drums. All right. Um, and so just a little bit of like, where does the title come from? So uh, this is the second, I think it's the second persona that Bowie created for himself, mm-hmm. Ziggy Stardust. Uh, and the Spiders from Mars is what they named the backing band uh, after the album was released. And they were like, oh, this is what um, the kind of like concepty thing of the album is going to be uh and we'll just call the band the spiders from mars so it's just basically it's just the the rise and fall of david bowie and the backing band uh but it sounds more fun when you uh put it that way you know right. um yeah so this is the exact same backing band as his fourth studio album hunky dory uh but the pianist uh was replaced and that's the only difference um so what's your what's your history with bowie uh, my history with Bowie is that I, mm, <laughs> I've never listened to a Bowie album beginning to end. Um, I've heard a lot of Bowie songs. Right. I enjoy the majority of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a few that I love. Uh, fashion. Fucking banger. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I- icon, you could say. Re- real quick, we, my roommates, my, my partner and my roommate and i we all went to goodwill and we all ended up getting clothes and then we came yeah. back home and we're like we're gonna do a little fashion show for each Ooh. other and i and i found like a like like a 90s house remix of uh of fashion that was like 20 minutes long love it i put that on to to do our little fashion show there you go um but that's kind of the extent of my experience with bowie okay uh yeah i knew i knew a good handful of the songs off of this album ahead right. of time uh but yeah what yeah, about you. I, very similar. Where I never really listened to a Bowie album, but I listened to Bowie songs just through cultural osmosis, mm-hmm. and knew of David Bowie through cultural osmosis. You know, like um, the Ziggy Stardust esque character, which is on the next album with in the next album's the cover with the um, lightning streak right. across his face and whatnot. Um, knew him as like you know this big, um, influential important musician uh both to pop culture in general and to music in general and all of this different stuff and that he you know reinvented himself consistently and and never was always on the forefront of kind of what was next in pop culture and pop music and stuff like that but yeah right. never listened to any albums of his or anything like that was not it was not in the rotation of my parents uh <laughs> right uh not, not exactly go, doesn't exactly go along with jimmy buffett yeah not, well. yeah you can't really go from buffett to bowie <laughs> uh I do I do remember <clears throat> well okay multiple times throughout my life I've been like oh yeah I've never really gotten into Bowie and I have multiple people be like what you right <laughs> not into what uh I had somebody describe Show Tigers as uh uh acid glam 
as if David Bowie was the frontman of uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Fuck, that's really good, <laughs> isn't it? That's my favorite description of God, Show that's Tigers. That's a really whenever, fucking good. Whenever descri- anybody's yeah. like, "What? What kind of music is it?" I'm like, "This is literally the best description that we've ever received." Yeah, that's really good. Uh, damn. Yeah, yeah. I uh, and then also I spend a lot of time on Tumblr in my teenage years, and I specifically remember a post that was quoting him about fashion specifically. Mm. And he was like, uh, these are my fashion t- tips. And the one that stuck with me that I, be- it stuck with me because I disagreed with it was like, uh, everybody should wear big, clunky English shoes. Nobody wants to see those tiny Italian numbers at the end of a leg line. And I was like, you're wrong. <laughs> I want tiny feet. Right. I want tiny feet, big legs. <laughs> big legs, big leg, small feet. Yeah, no. Well, also like the night, the crazy thing about Bowie is that he changed everything about his style and how he presented himself consistently Mm -hmm. as an artist. So I'm sure that was a quote at some point, probably in his glam phase, which was this album and the next album. Right. Where, you know, big, overly oversized everything, very... uh, I mean, he practically invented shoulder pads as far as I'm aware. That's that's what I've been told, (laughs) yeah. Um, You know, like, very much leaning into kind of, like, queer-coded... clothing as well mm-hmm. in mainstream and whatnot and then right after that he switched over to his uh thin pale man uh or whatever that's no the the thin white duke yeah that's what it was which yeah. is like the polar opposite yeah. of glam bowie bet he had you know, the so. little italian numbers at the end of those leg lines didn't you didn't you boy well i mean he's <laughs> passed away so Anyways, uh, yeah, so obviously, as we said, Ziggy Stardust is the alter ego for Bowie um, in this album. Uh, as conveyed uh, by the song title and the album, mm-hmm. uh, Ziggy Stardust is an androgynous alien rock star who came to Earth before an impending apocalyptic disaster to deliver a message of hope. After accumulating a large following of fans and being worshipped as a messiah, Ziggy, who is seen as a sexual icon and a bisexual, a bisexual icon eventually dies as a victim of his own fame and success. Wow. So that is the overarching concept mm-hmm. of this album. Uh, it's, it's a loose concept album. It wasn't written as a concept album. They recorded the songs and then they realized there was kind of a thematic a thread, yeah. through line. So they went through and re-recorded some of the lyrics just to make it, it flow a little bit better. Mm. Um, it, it's it's kind of in that loose rock opera-y yeah, stuff that, as well. That sounds yeah. accurate for, you know, if you told me that, like, there was that this was a concept album and that there was a very, like, uh, you know, kind of meticulously put together story behind all of it, uh that I would be like, this is seventies pop rock, like yeah. you know, like yeah. this. The uh, like I get that uh, lyrically, thematically, it, it connects, but the uh, the idea that the music is communicating a story right. in itself did, doesn't exactly compute for me. Yeah, and it, it doesn't tell an overarching story. It definitely each song tells its own story really well. I yeah. think. Oh, certainly. But, um, yeah, this was also one of the um, gla- heights of glam rock. Heights of proto-punk um, era of music, and that's kind of what it really is leaning into, especially being uh, very pop-centric as well, but really leaning into the um, large stage presence, the over-acting um, on stage and mm. over-telling of stories that glam rock was really known for, but also having this really aggressive uh, guitar 
as well. And a lot of the uh, tracks on this album would go on to kind of be staples for what proto-punk and then punk music in general would kind of strive to uh, get sound-wise and right. uh, playing-wise as well. Um, and so a lot of the musical diversity on this album compared to some of the other stuff that he had been doing mm-hmm. came uh, from the fact that at, he was touring his third album, which was the Major Tom mm-hmm. album in America. And after he came back in 1971, uh, he was just enamored and in awe of all of this different musicality and all of these different musicians that he met and saw perform along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And specifically, he kind of sees inspiration for... There's a few conflicting reports of like how he created the Ziggy Stardust character, but the one that Bowie himself kind of says, and those who were closer to him kind of say was that it was meeting um Iggy Pop and Lou Reed kind of performing together mm. and kind of like what would this character be who is this demise of their own fame type thing and this larger than life character and whatnot and that kind of um rolled on from there to kind of create the story that uh it that they ended up making. Right. Um so Hunky Dory, which is its fourth studio album, and Ziggy Stardust were recorded back-to-back. Um, and Hunky Dory didn't do well commercially because RCA didn't really know how to promote the, that album mm-hmm. because they knew Ziggy Stardust was him introducing a new character. And they're like, how do we promote your fourth album that is not at all tied to what you're going to be touring type right. thing? Um, and most of the tracks on this album were recorded completely live and on tape you know one not one take but like doing a full take each time and then listening back seeing how they thought about it and then if they felt it was good it was good but then if it wasn't completely recording the entire song over again mm-hmm. um, a very ch- classic traditional production technique um, of the time um, so this main single off of this album Starman was a incredible last minute addition yeah because RCA thought that there wasn't a single for the album. So Bowie wrote Starman and then replaced it with another song that replaced another song that they took off the album with Starman mm-hmm. two days before they finished recording. Oh, well. Yeah, like a super, super, super last minute thing. Yeah, that that song definitely comes across as slapped together. <laughs> that was sarcasm. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing. Um, before we kind of get into what we thought about the album in general is after this, he toured as Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars for 18 months straight. And he eventually had to retire the character because he started feeling like he could not tell himself apart from the character to method. Yeah. And it was, (laughs) you know, destroying his mental health. And on that tour is when he started, you know, getting addicted to cocaine just to like, keep it up because like he also did full like stage makeup and towards at the end of the uh tours it was like a two-hour process to put on all the stage makeup before he went on type thing um and he famously said uh at the last show that they did uh this is the last time that you'll uh you're never going to see me perform again type thing insinuating that and everyone was like oh david bowie's retiring from music but he was was, specifically recording me as ziggy stardust yeah ziggy stardust will never perform again yeah but then you know obviously all of the music critics at the time were like david bowie is never gonna perform again this will sell some newspapers (laughs) exactly uh so jared what do you what are your overall thoughts about uh ziggy stardust which is the way we're just gonna refer to it right uh 
my overall thoughts on this album are as such. Didn't latch onto this album as much as I thought I would. Okay. Um, but I think it's a very solid album. Okay. Um, I think I think that my expectation that it was a concept album ah. going into it, um, I was you know I was expecting more kind of theatricality in the music itself. Um, right. I was yeah. kind of expecting more of a plot and a and a and a storyline going through the album. Yeah. Um, versus like what we were what I was saying earlier is that like it, it's it definitely feels like a seventies pop rock album. Like it's a collection of songs. And they just happen to all be lyrically connected. Yes, for sure. Uh, which was a little disappointing for me. Yeah, that um, makes sense. But uh, musically, it's all on point. Like it's all it's all there. Yeah. Uh, the it's definitely very dated in terms of production. Um, this is not one for headphones. <laughs> yeah, you don't. It's you definitely don't, yeah. like early stereo mixing stuff and like some weird decisions on where things land it feels like the... it's a an album that is supposed to be listened to on like floor speakers yeah you know? uh definitely more enjoyable that way uh just the first my my first listen through of it was with headphones walking to work and it was like uh i think the first couple tracks i was like oh this is not right. i don't want head i don't want this <laughs> blasting in my ears right now right um yeah, there's some standout tracks. There are some tracks that like are skippable, but I don't. Th- I wouldn't say there's any bad tracks on this album. Right. Yeah. Um, what are your overall thoughts? I think it's a really, really good album, especially in general. You know, you tend to stay more away from like what was it, time and place, mm-hmm. and I'm a little bit more okay. What was it, time and place? But like time and place, I can definitely see this being a absolutely revolutionary kind of like pop album in right. some ways because it really leans into the glam rock. Um, it really leans into kind of more experimental art pop at some places as well. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic vocal performance by Bowie. Like, what a fantastic singer. Uh, the backing band also incredibly on point. They they know how to extenuate his singing, but also take over a song when it needs to be taken over mm-hmm. type thing. Um, I think with you, like, I was expecting a better s- story throughout the album. Yeah. Uh, but I think the lyricism that Bowie has on each song itself kind of makes up for it because I think each song for the most part is pretty lyrically interesting and lyrically fascinating. And I think he does a really good job of creating a micro stories within the overarching looser story. Yeah, no, it's definitely engaging, Mm -hmm. uh, lyrically. It's just, uh. Yeah, I just was, you know, it's not what I expected. Right, no, uh, of course. And I think that's also, like, I also had incredibly I, high expectations right. going into it. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is really good. I also, know, like, you know, I knew uh, uh, through cultural osmosis, as yeah. you said earlier, that, that Ziggy Stardust was, like, a major era for Bowie. Yeah. And knowing that, like, this is the album for which the character was made and uh-huh. that is named after the character, like, a, you know. I just was expecting more and didn't really receive that. Right. And also, like, yeah, Bowie took over the 70s, and this is his first, like, here I am. I'm on the scene. You have to take me seriously now. So Mm -hmm. I I totally agree with you on that. And I think um, there are weaker tracks, but it's not that they're bad tracks. They're just like, yeah, this is standard kind of pop fair. Yeah, there's one, uh, oh, what's it called? uh, It Ain't Easy. Uh, Yeah, which uh, that is actually a cover. Really? Yeah. I was going to say, that, <laughs> I don't know what it's a cover of, but uh, yeah. it 
it always hits me as so this is a verse written by the doors and then a chorus written by led zeppelin oh interesting <laughs> um i saw it as a bowie showing love and appreciation towards the beatles because it feels very late era beatlesy with the harpsichord and well, you very know, large you know a lot more beatles than i do yeah which we'll eventually talk beatles we'll talk beatles eventually we'll talk beatles eventually um yeah, also, this is a pretty short album overall. Like, the overall runtime is uh, 39 minutes. Yeah. But there's so much packed into it as well. Like, they don't really waste time for the most part. Yeah, it uh, it's very uh, diverse track to track. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's, I a, mean, it's a good listen. There aren't exactly any ballads, I would say, on it. No, they're slower songs, but they're definitely not ballads at all. Yeah, yeah. which is fine. I'm not upset by that. <laughs> no, but it's nice to see like a pop album from kind of the early 70s not feel like it needs a ballad. But I feel like ballads were more late 70s, early 80s right. than uh, once like hair metal kind of came onto the scene more right. than glam metal. Uh, so let's get into the songs themselves. And uh, obviously we're going to start where we're going to start, uh, which is the start of the album, which is five years. Uh, I think it's a really good opener. Uh, it's a very slow build, and it gets massive towards the end. I think it's yeah. one of the more theatrical songs on the album as well. Yeah, the payoff at the end is very satisfying. It was cold and it rained, so I felt like an actor, and I thought of more, and I wanted to get back there. Your face, your age, the way that you talk, I kiss you, you're beautiful, tie-in of this song being the opener to the overall concept is on TV they're saying that there's this large uh, apocalyptic disaster that's yeah, going to happen some catastrophe to the earth and we we only got five years left to live and it's through the viewpoint of a child hearing it on the news and then seeing all the fallout that happens around him and all of the good and bad like ways that people deal basically just deal with hearing traumatic news like that. Yeah. Um, which And I think he does a really good job of that as well. The lyrics I kind of pulled from it um, was, a sh- soldier with a broken arm fixed his stare to the wheels of a Cadillac. A cop knelt and kissed the feet of a priest and a queer threw up at the side of that. Which Bowie was one of the very first pro, like outward with his uh, sexuality being not heteronormative. Yeah. Uh, so somewhat seen as a queer icon, especially at the time. Right. He and a few of his uh, other glam rock friends were openly at least bisexual type thing. And right. this is in the early 70s where it was seen as like a demonic thing yeah. to be I that. This was so. even like pre-Rocky Horror, which like that's yeah. a, a, a early pillar of um, uh, queer culture. Queer culture, yeah. yeah. I uh, His voice. I wanted to... Uh, I feel like this is this song being the first song and also what's in the song is a good example. Uh, Bowie has a very unique uh, voice, not in that Bowie always sounds like Bowie. Right. Uh, like he has a like he has a sonic fingerprint, but in that uh, he kind of is not a good singer, <laughs> uh, but like he pulls it off at the same time. He's um, he's definitely not like the most classically trained beautiful voice singer right um 
I I don't know. I have a lot of respect for Bowie because it seemed like it, it from what I've heard, it seems like he spent a lot of specifically his earlier career uh writing stuff that he could barely sing, but then somehow being able to pull it out anyway. Right. Uh there are just like a lot of notes that he goes for where it's like it's clear that uh that vibrato's not intentional. Yeah. Like it's it's clear that this is really like at the top of his range and that he's really pushing to get there. Mm-hmm. But um, he always gets there. But it's it's it is so like tastefully done in a way. Yeah. Uh I don't know. It's it's yeah. a very like Bowie-esque thing and I I I enjoy it whenever I pick up on it. Yeah, and also like on this song they're like going for it straining his voice a little bit, especially with the outro just how they continue to repeat the mm-hmm. outro. Uh, it also really works for kind of like the co- conveying the idea of like fear and dread and horror of the potential future mm. and the panic that can set in with that. Like because he is pushing it's, his voice so well, it it thematically matches what it, he's trying to convey lyrically as well. And, right. Yeah. It very much. The end of that song very much reminds me of uh, the Wall, Pink Floyd. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. It's it's certainly got that. Uh, and see, I think that's where I was coming from was that like, this is like a the wall level like concept album. And then oh, listening yeah, to nope, it, I was nope, like, nope, no, nope. this is just a bunch of songs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a theoretical album, not a concept album. Right. Uh, it's a theoretical concept, not a not a concrete concept. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not a physical concept. Yeah, exactly. Um, I feel like Soul Love, the only thing I want to touch on on Soul Love, which is the second track, uh, really fun samba beat in the intro. Got some congas in there, and Bowie's playing sax. Gotta mm. love a good sax. Really good sax solo in it. Um, but you know, it's 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 a good pop song. Nothing overly interesting. I feel like we need to talk about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moon Age Daydream. This uh, is probably my favorite. It, it's my. It's it's one of the two that I'm just like. These are fantastic. It, so fucking heavy. Mm-hmm. Such a fucking heavy song. Uh, it builds in all the exact ways that you want. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love how little it repeats uh, these kind of motifs throughout it. Right. Uh, uh, like there's that first initial kind of chorus, you could call it section uh, with the flutes going. Um, that's doing that. I don't know if uh, that's flutes, but yeah, I know what you're well, saying. Yeah, whatever. I, yeah. It's some kind of wind instrument, mm-hmm. or it could, uh, yeah. Anyway, that that sort of thing's going on. And the first time I listened to that song, yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is a weird choice for a chorus." Like, I mean, it like I liked it, but I was just like, "Oh, this is kind of surprising." Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how I feel about it when it comes back around, and then it doesn't. It it meshes between being heavy and being lighter, and then it just gets darker and darker and darker, mm-hmm. and, and he- bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes on. Um, and this lyrically, this ties more into the thematic song of this is the first mention and references towards there's this man out there. Uh, the, the references towards the Ziggy Stardust character, right? Really big on the space space age lyricism in this as well, which makes a lot of sense since he just kind of went through his major Tom phase, right? So space age references and also it's the 
end of kind of the heyday of the space age. I think, you know, the seventies we had put a man on Mars or not Mars, uh, the moon by then. Right. Uh, so it's kind of the last vestiges of people being hyper fixated on, uh, the space right. age space or kind, or kind like of romanticizing that. the idea like i mean you know <laughs> people today don't give a fuck about space dude no they not at all i i it's just happened for so long and yeah you all it, know we're losing satellites like flies right yeah it's fine <laughs> don't worry about it uh and then yeah like the ability to then build it towards something like this really good really good guitar solo i think yeah. it's one of the better ones um apparently uh david bowie uh when they were recording live uh trusted his guitarist enough to kind of do what he wanted to so he didn't really tell him what to do mm-hmm. and so but what he would do is when they were recording live he would just hum towards uh which one was it uh to Mick Ronson mm-hmm. kind of just like hum what he wanted the solo to kind of sound like. Interesting. And then he would play it type thing. Wow. Yeah. So like this, this was Bowie's like most focused sort of uh, album recording that he ever done. He's like, I know exactly how I want it to sound. And I know that you are a competent enough musician for me to just kind of hum where I need you to go with right. it and do it. Uh, and then he did that a few times uh, on the album as well. But yeah, it's 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 good. It's good. I I also really like the vocal delay that is done on the the longer choruses and just all the delay that they add yeah. towards it as well. Yeah. There's uh I this is one of the tracks that like um like I just wonder if there's like a mono version that's mm. that sounds better. Uh there's just a lot of like really weird decisions in terms of stereo mixing like yeah. that clip you just played all of the drums are entirely in the right ear and that's like uh, yeah, again, like listening to that with floor speakers is no nowhere near as big a deal as listening with headphones. Oh yeah, no, I, this is uh, this is the first time I'm listening with headphones mm-hmm. on this album as well. Yeah, uh, that are not just like forty dollar like Bluetooth headphones, right? Uh, so I was like, oh wow, that is like very. Also, we should and those, mention those that... cymbal hits being entirely in one ear too. It's so hard. Yeah, we should also mention though that this is. Um, the 2012 remastered yeah that's the one i listened to too as well so i figured that would be the best shot as far as like right uh, you know being able to kind of get over that uh dated recording right so uh, if they're stuff if that is something that is only on the 2012 i don't know why it would be but if it is (laughs) yes um then that's that's why we're referencing it right um but yeah one theoretically would not be that but that song goes straight into starman which is one of the close second as far as my favorite tracks on this album <laughs> quote unquote classic bowie tracks right um it's really well produced it's well written it's definitely a really solid pop song for me it's it's a little more middling but it's still great really yeah. i lo- uh, i so uh one of my bosses we were uh we were he was just playing Bowie uh on random on Spotify one day when we were mm-hmm. working on stuff and uh this song came on and he was like, This is my daughter's favorite song and 
I just imagined his daughter singing along to the chorus and just being <laughs> really excited during the like let the children let the children use it let the children yeah. let all the children boogie yeah exactly <laughs> and I just imagine like I've never met his daughter but I just imagine this little kid just being like and let all the children boogie and then she starts dancing right <laughs> uh, I just think that's incredibly cute and I think of that whenever I hear this song. Love the interval that he chose for that. Yeah, the, the uh, post-chorus for, for the harmony. Uh, yeah, post-chorus. Is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about the uh, during the chorus itself? D- during Starman. Yeah, okay, the word sorry. Starman. Yeah, yeah the sorry. the harmony that he chose for that. I like it's, every it's a time, really good harmony. You know, he yeah. does it without the harmony the first time through, and then they repeat it, and, he, and the harmony comes yeah. in. Like you know, it's a very standard thing to do. Yeah. Uh, it's not like it's this groundbreaking thing and it's not like nobody else would have chosen the interval for that harmony, but I just every time it hits right and I'm like, yeah, but he chose I'm going right... to fucking sing the harmony this time around. But he chose the right one. Yeah, you know, he which, chose the right one. Which is important, yeah. Also, uh, great fucking bass on yeah. this uh, track as well. And for me, that very proto-punky uh, post-chorus uh guitar lick with the um heavy riff riff guitar kind of behind it as well is also just like a highlight mm-hmm. um and i love the fact that uh during this entire thing it's talking about this man who like doesn't this this space alien ziggy stardust who like doesn't want to show up and like blow our minds, but he knows he's got it to save the earth type right. thing. And they're all just like, Whoa, look at, look at this guy. Whoa. Did you see that? And like the fact that they're like, I had to pick up one of the lyrics is, you know, I had to pick up the phone, someone. So I picked you. Hey, that's far out. So you heard him too. switch on the TV. Maybe we'll pick him up on channel two. Like that very like mm-hmm. groundswell. You're like, ah, oh, did you saw that too? Yeah. Like this thing. wild yeah. events happening and everybody's sort of, tuning in and trying to figure out what's going on at the same time yeah yeah I, uh, it, it's, it's a good song but i think like for me i think there's just higher points on the album really yeah like i i think part of it is that it, it's just a very to me a little bit it's kind of written as a by the numbers pop song you're like i can't argue with that yeah i it just fucking lands for me i no, don't know like it it, I, it hits but i i just think other things hit better all right uh it's definitely like topper top middle it's not, a topper it's a top it's yeah <laughs> it's a top middle it's not like a bottom middle or anything like that but it's still not one of the like two or three tracks that i'm like i i think this is the highlights of the album right basically um so it ain't easy is the cover mm-hmm. of the album um it is a cover from a country artist uh kind of like roots rock blues artist named ron davis Never heard of this. Neither person. have I. Um, but yeah, so it's a cover. Um, I I like it as a cover. Mm-hmm. Originally, before I learned that it was a cover, I was like, oh yeah, this is like a really good Beatles like tribute thing. Because mm-hmm. as we talked about earlier, it's like it feels very 
late era um, Beatles with harpsichord, really big emotional choruses with mm. guitar uh, meshing with that chorus and whatnot. But then when you do listen to the original song, uh, it's like, oh, the harpsichord is just taking over for what the um, kind of Delta bluesy finger picked mm. uh, acoustic was doing on the original recording. Mm-hmm. So, but I think it's a really, really good cover, but that's kind of the only interesting thing I got to say about yeah, it. Yeah. I, this is probably my least favorite track on the album. It's not bad by any means. Just, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it exists. It's a, it's a not, it's not even necessarily underwhelming. It's just, it's just there. <laughs> it's just there. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to skip a few songs, uh, that are like really, Quality pop songs, but nothing too interesting going on. Yeah, if you've ever heard 70s pop rock before, you've heard yeah. these. <laughs> like, if you've ever, if you've heard Elton John, you've heard Lady Stardust. You know, if you've heard Star, you've heard uh, any other, like, gr- glam rock stuff. The only thing I want to say is hang on to yourself. It's a very footloose guitar riff. Yeah. And I appreciate it. Yeah. that That's that's the only thing I feel like I, I, that, I need to point out. That reminds out. me, part of that fashion show, uh, uh-huh. th- uh, for which we were listening to Fashion by David Bowie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I got my first pair in my in my living memory of light wash jeans. Oh hell yeah, boy! Uh, and I walked out into the living room and looked in the mirror. We have a full length mirror in our living room that we all share. Uh huh. And I was like, I am Kevin Bacon in Footloose. <laughs> wow! Congrats on that, I guess. All right. Or I'm or. Or sorry, I've been, I don't. <laughs> I've been told I look like Kevin Bacon before, like I think bit. twice I before. It. I can see it. Uh, my nose doesn't go up like this. Yeah, well, I mean, did when I was a kid, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Ziggy Stardust. We're kind of at the point where Ziggy uh, has started to become a rock a rock and roll star. He's letting his ego kind of take over himself. He's getting big, big rock star energy, basically. Right. Um, so this is a song that's a perspective from the backing band. The Spiders from Mars, about all of that happening. Um, this is just a really good driving song. It's got a great rift. It's got beautiful... I think this is one of the better uh, vocal performances that David Bowie has on the album as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just overall, this is... I think this Moon Age Daydream are like one and two for me yeah on the album like i i really really like it came on so loaded man well hung snow white That slight slowdown just gets yeah. me every time, and I'm like, I, I'm I'm so torn about it. Part of me loves it, part of me hates it. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. I think it's very it's, apropos it's of consistent, the time. So I yeah. think th- I don't think there's any reason for me to dislike it, right? Because it's it's clearly intentional. Yeah, and again, I think one of the reasons it's one of my top two is that it is more of the proto punk on the album than. Mm-hmm the glam rock and i think i really appreciate the proto-punk yeah aspects of this album more so than the uh not generic pop like early 70s pop but um the more pop focused piano driven mm-hmm. stuff i i think there's really something special 
that they they found in that guitar tone and the way that they were playing, which makes sense that it influenced a wave of bands in the mid to late seventies. Oh yeah, as well. I uh, yeah, this is one of the tracks that like the production just let just lets it down. Like I no, I get you. you. Know, I get you. I, yeah. Uh. The, the, that like super honky, I mean, it's not even super honky, but like it, it, uh, it's sort of like cocked wah, like, I don't know, I'm not sure what they would have done. It might be a cocked wah, uh, because they did have the guitarist, um, was playing guitar into a wah pedal into a hundred watt Marshall. Mm-hmm. So that was the tone that they were, so it's very possible that they did just leave a wah pedal. In, in a position, so yeah, it's definitely like it. I almost said treble booster at first, but it's not. It's more low mids than high mids. So yeah. it's, but yeah, I. There's just a thing there, and having two guitars that are in that that are like that are taking up such specific frequencies in the mid range that, and it's it doesn't feel as filled out as I feel like it should be. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I. But I like I. It's an enjoyable song, and uh, yeah, that slowdown. In the it gets in, you. in the post chorus every time it's like oh, oh, oh you did it surprise <laughs> like I, like I never expected even though I know it's coming yeah um, suffragette city I think is also a, a, a quality one and that's another one of the big Bowie songs I feel like mm-hmm. it's it has escaped the album into broader consciousness in general uh, suffragette city is a very British phrase but it basically means Manchester okay because that was the uh, start of the women's suffragette movement in right. England. Okay, and so the song is basically just about a man. It's basically about a man in a relationship who hates his girlfriend, but the sex is so good he doesn't want to leave. So then the girlfriend. <laughs> okay, look, uses... I, so we, Ivory and I, were talking about this song. Yeah, and uh, I looked into it and I found a myriad of explanations for the lyric for the lyrics and the meaning behind this song. Right. Uh, I I saw everything from you know this is about him uh, struggling with his heroin addiction and like I can yeah, see that and yeah. he, or like this is uh, this is him coming to grips with his bisexuality and like yada like yeah. I saw a full <laughs> like the full any and it was like anybody that had an idea what the song was about was like this is what it's about yeah and there was no like definitive. Like, the only one that made sense was just this guy is trying to get laid and his roommate won't fucking leave. <laughs> Basically, yeah. And that's, like, the reason that I feel confident in saying, that, like, this is what it is is because what I found was quotes from David Bowie's biographer oh. and quotes from uh, kind of the people See, who I was, helped. I was yeah. looking for stuff like that, but all I could find was just people's interpretations. No, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically it is kind of broadly tied towards the whole Ziggy Stardust uh, self-destructive nature where uh, instead of doing what he originally came to do, which is save the planet, he got into rock and roll and sex and just focusing on that too much. So Mm -hmm. basically what I read up on was this is a song where it's a friend telling him, dude, this is a toxic relationship for you. You got to get out of it. Uh, But, you know, his friend is basically just being whipped. He's like, no, stop talking. And he just will not accept that. Like it's a toxic relationship because the sex is so good. And he's like, don't make me fucking kick you out. So you have to go back to Manchester. You motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, um, I think the end of the song goes on a little bit too long. Mm -hmm. Just the repeating suffragette city. 
I enjoy um, it. I enjoy it too, but I think it just goes on like a t- just a touch too long. I, I do have uh I do have a unique memory tied to this song. Uh I mean not necessarily, but the um Tell me about it. So this was the first time that I that I listened to a David Bowie song and knew that it was David Bowie like as I was listening to right, it. Right, yeah. Uh like, you know, I'd heard uh, David of, Bowie songs yeah. out in the wild. Uh but this was because it was on uh I think Rock Band 2. It was definitely on a rock band. It was on a or, rock band. Or a guitar hero. Uh no, it was definitely a rock band because okay. uh this was I had borrowed the drum controllers from somebody. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Uh and that that was the first time in my life that I was like, "Oh, maybe I maybe I could play drums." <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was like the first time uh, play, playing rock band. I'm sure that a lot of people have had this experience. But play, <laughs> specifically playing Suffragette City on the drums on rock band, I was like, I think I can play drums. And then right. I didn't until these showed up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> until I moved into this house. <laughs> uh, but yeah, again, it's just like really good guitar work. Just a really driving good rock song. Uh, the wham bam, thank you, ma'am, in the middle of the like long ass outro mm-hmm. the like false endings that they have multiple times mm-hmm. really well done really well written uh and then rock and roll suicide a haunting i think it's a beautiful end as well mm-hmm. um it builds in all of the absolutely correct ways uh and that there's one very specific part at the end where he says you're not alone and there's no instrumentation as he's mm-hmm. saying that yeah that that gives me the chills every time i yeah. love it it's it's bowie showing his range and it's amazing and it's it's, it's kind of exactly how you would want this album to to so end naturally, religiously unkind oh no love you're not alone you're watching yourself but you're too In this one, that cocked wah sound works, right? Because there's there's a lot of other instrumentation that's filling out that mid range palette. Yeah, no, for sure. And kind of thematically, this is the end. He has lost his band. He's lost the majority of the, his fans. And this is his like final cry for like, I know you all hate me, but like, let me at least die for you. Let me do something for you because I I originally came here to save you all, and I got so sidetracked so caught up, at, yeah. at least let me do this for you um and so that's kind of how the the album ends uh let's let's move on over to kind of how what people thought at the time mm-hmm. um so i'm actually unable to access any of the reviews from when it originally came out because it's such a long time ago oh, really? everything is nothing's on, archived nothing's archived and the things that are archived you have to pay or be like <sighs> access like you have to be a newspaper or something like like there's a bunch of newspaper savings like and you can find those but they're like yeah no so you have to have like a yearly subscription to like this Ugh, archive and whatnot so, so that sucks but yeah i love putting information behind a paywall yeah that makes sense for humanity <laughs> yeah 
Uh, but what what I was able to find from just like people talking about the reviews at the time is that it got really uh, a really lukewarm reception. Really, a really really lukewarm reception. Some people thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. There was like, yeah, this is like this is Bowie kind of being Bowie. It's got some good tracks, got some bad tracks, whatever. Some people thought it was amazing, revolutionary, and all that stuff. And a lot of people thought it was pretty bad. And it's the people who really thought it was bad were the people who really like really liked his other work. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, when you compare it to like. What he did on Honky Dory and what he did on Major Tom, like it is so much darker, so much more pessimistic, and it doesn't really pay off the overarching story that he's trying to make and all that different stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, critically, it did not release to you know the most rave reviews that you would assume it it would. Right. Um, looking back on it, though, uh, this is one of the most important albums ever released. <laughs> um, it is considered his breakthrough album and one of, if not his best album that he ever put out. Uh, it's consistently called one of the cult- most culturally important albums ever released. Wow. Because that's how like big of an impact it had on pop culture, how people viewed music, how people viewed pop stars, mm-hmm. everything. Uh, Billboard wrote that this record serves as a reminder to record companies that quote unquote hope or a quote hopelessly idiosyncratic and excess excessively provocative unquote music can initially be disliked but later celebrated as timeless. Wow. And in re-reviews of the album, basically five stars across the board. Right. <laughs> um and it's you know it's preserved in the uh national uh archives as a culturally significant piece of uh media that was created mm-hmm. it's considered like but i think it was rolling stones that gave it like 19th most important album ever made and stuff like that so like just across the board absolutely loved absolutely did they give a rolling stones album number one i don't i don't <laughs> well no they did the thing recently where they no they gave it to marvin gay most recently remember that I was still okay. They they redid their top five hundred whatever, and they gave it to Marvin Gaye's. What's going on? Oh, because the last time they put out a list, people were like, "Y'all, you got like no black artists on here. What the fuck are you doing, Rolling Stone? It's two thousand five. Where's the rap? Where's the black people? Yeah. So, but it doesn't matter what Rolling Stone fucking thought of this album. No, I couldn't care less. Uh, you know, you know what does matter though. Uh, what we think about it. Yes. Uh, so we're going to give it the only fucking score that matters uh, using the official tape makers uh, ranking scale. So we're ranking this out of 23. That is the official ranking of the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. So, Jared, what do you think this album is out rated of, out of 23? Out of 23? Um, yeah, as you brought up earlier, I, uh, I tend to not... Uh, review albums within the uh, cultural context of the time. Yeah. Unless I think there's a specific reason to. I think that good music is good music regardless of... Of course, yeah. Reg- regardless of what time period it was released in. If it's not good now, you know. Yeah, yeah. and uh, there isn't necessarily like a, a, a cultural commentary, social commentary going on in this album. There's no sort of... Uh, it's not a time and place album. Right, there's yeah. there's nothing that exists in this album because of the time that it was... Uh, because of the time that it was created. I mean, you know, the argument could be made some of this like proto punk stuff and a lot. Of, yeah. Yeah. Um, and some of the production decisions and whatnot, but yeah. And overall, I, I'm, uh, 
I do. I really wish. And the, what year was this album released again? 72. 1972. This, yeah. Uh, but it was mostly recorded in 71. Okay. Yeah, I mean, okay, that kind of... I, I was about to say, like, there were way better recorded albums <laughs> that came out around this time, but, uh, yeah, that was about par for the course, probably, for 1971. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to knock off points because of the production, but the production really does make it difficult for me to listen to some this of these is, tracks. Just this because, is your own personal opinion right, I on know. the album. I, I'm just, uh, I'm, I guess I'm sort of trying to, uh, uh, more, um, uh, accurately sort of quantify my criteria. Yeah. That makes no, sense. that makes sense. It makes total sense. Uh, I, <sighs> yeah, I think that if, if we're looking at just the music, um, this is a this is a Midland to great, <laughs> so yeah, a good. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd give it. I'm so what is, s- what is good? Well, how does it transition so, out, so of out of twenty three? Out of twenty three, that'd be uh, eleven and a half. Would be would be bare, bare middle. Yeah. Um, I give it like a. 16, 17, 17. We'll say 17. You're going to say 17? Yeah. 17 out of 23? Um, I was going to say 17 out of 23, Holy too. shit! When was the last time that happened? It's been a hot minute since we were good. Yeah, like, it, it has some really, really standout songs. Um, I think as a pop album, it does the best that it can, but mm-hmm. I think it is also weighed down by some of the kind of cliches that you kind of need to have as a pop album. Also, right. Early seventies is not the the height of like musically interesting and fun to listen to and diverse pop music either. You know, it's coming straight right. out of it, it's coming straight out of the you know the hippie movement, like just kind of dying all of that stuff that was tied right. to it. And it's in this weird in between where it's slightly moving into glam, being uh, the culture right where it's important. it's coming, it's moving farther away from being any kind of commentary or being any sort of yeah. Uh, tied to any sort of cultural change and being yeah. more just a thing that exists yeah. to exist. And not that there's not any cultural commentary on this album, but it is not a priority of the album. Right. And I think that there's a missed opportunity in that um, it could have been more diverse between uh, here are the songs that are in the context of the Ziggy Stardust so- story. Yeah. Um, the The pop glam rock songs that exist because Ziggy wrote them or because this is the what Story Ziggy is Ziggy. experiencing yeah. uh, and contrasted more with the beginning, you know, the beginnings and ends of that story musically. Uh, but instead it kind of feels like it's that same thing through the whole thing. Right. Um, no, for sure. And yeah. I, I agree with you on that. All right. So if we are going to give it a 17, out of 23, if I'm doing my math correctly, and I'm going to have you, you double check me on this. Oh, God. Uh, that is going to put it in uh, right under Boarding House Reach by Jack White and right above I Go Missing in My Sleep by Wilson. And I think that's a pretty good place for it to land. Because, okay, so uh... eight, 18, 19. Because that is... We're going to have so much... Boarding House Reach is currently sixth. Uh-huh. So... Uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. So if we got a full score, it would have been number one. So it's six below that. Right. So it's going underneath. So it'd be the new number seven. Okay. Yeah. Right in between Boarding House Reach by Jack White and I Go Missing My Sleep by Wilson. 
How do you feel about that? Uh, so, sorry. So, uh, Wilson's above Boarding House Reach? No, Wilson is below Boarding House Reach. Right, okay. So this would, Boarding House Reach would stay six. Ziggy Stardust would be seven. I Go Missing My Sleep would be eight. Ooh, I, I'm tempted to bump it down. Really? Yeah. Um, <sighs> Tell me your reasons. Well, so, you know, I have my qualms with uh, I Go Missing in My Sleep. Yeah. Uh, and that was mainly in that it was sort of one note. Uh-huh. Um, this, that is also one of my issues with this album. Okay. Uh, this does, this album does have its standout tracks, but the majority of the albums does sort of sit in this sort of like, uh, rock and roll in a, in a sort of seventies pop context. I, like I, and, and I feel like there's these missed opportunities and that it, like the idea that these songs already existed and then we're kind of forced into this storytelling framework. Mm. Like it all sort of makes sense to me as like, yeah, this is a it makes sense on how we got. Album. It makes sense on how we got here. Uh, versus where I go missing in my sleep is very one note to me. There's at least a lot of intention behind that album. Okay. Um, not that you know, not that there is an intention to be detected on Ziggy Stardust, but just that um, it again the idea that it you know, that these songs got reworked into being a storytelling device right. instead of being written to be a storytelling device. Right, right. Um, I see what you're saying. And I also think I Go Missing My Sleep does a better job of reaching what it is trying to be, mm -hmm. whereas Ziggy Stardust is attempting to be multiple things at once. And it does a pretty okay job of being multiple things at once, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't fully fulfill the storytelling techniques that it's trying to get to. It doesn't fully fulfill the rock opera. It doesn't fully fulfill being a glam rock album. It doesn't fully fulfill being a proto-punk album. It doesn't fully fulfill being a revolutionary pop album either. Yeah. It's it's all really, really good, but With, it doesn't and, fulfill and the in the same way that I go within the context does. of yeah. being released in 1972 as what well. like that, you know, in the context of when it was released, it is certainly a major, uh, important influential album. But yeah, yeah. if we're looking at it purely from a musical standpoint and uh, yeah, I, I would put it, I go missing in my sleep above. Okay. I'm going to listen to more songs off of this album than I am from I go missing in my sleep in the future. That's fair. Uh, but as a as a whole album beginning to end, I appreciate I Go Missing in My Sleep. Which again probably more than Ziggy. These Stardust. are albums, not songs. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Color me surprised. I did not think you'd be the one fighting for I, I was ready to be like, yeah, no, Wilson can go below it. That's fine. That's not <laughs> you're, you're that like happens. accepting a sort of like not defeat, but a but a a small uh, I, a I, small hurt. A small hurt, but also like smartly picking your battles i'm like this is not one worth having <laughs> but yeah no I, I i agree with that yeah okay so uh the rise and fall of ziggy stardust and the spiders from mars are is our new number eight yeah good good on them what, what's uh what's below that now uh the beautiful game by wolfpack i'm fine with that yeah no i'm totally fine, I'm fine with, with that, that also yeah i think it makes sense uh besides we can't knock it down too at all that that's breaking our own rules no, I, yeah. I just wanted to know where it sat 
how how upset would you be if it was something that you were just like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, I mean, the nature of our experiment sort of, you know, we set we ourselves too. up for failure yeah. in that regard. I'm so excited for uh, whatever chaos comes next. Right. That's, uh, that's part of the that's part of our. All right. Our uh, what a good time. What a, what a good time. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to transition over into Jamie by Brittany Howard. So welcome back, listeners. Uh, thank you for taking that break with us. We got to figure out what we're gonna do with all this like downtime talk that we've been having. <laughs> I don't want to start a Patreon. No, it's not going to be a Patreon. Uh, it's. <laughs> I don't want to post it all to Instagram, though. I the feel good, like that's too much. The good conversations are going to go at the end of the pod. <laughs> and then after that, who knows? Uh, we'll just figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Uh, so we are going to be talking about 2019's uh, Jamie by Brittany Howard. Uh, it was released September 25th of 2019. And it is the debut solo solo album for Brittany Howard, uh, most known for being the front woman, uh, front person of Alabama Shakes, a roots blues revivalist band of the mid tens uh, that got rave reviews, critical acclaim, all of that good shit, all fully warranted. A incredible band. Um, so here are all of the people who are uh, credited on this album. Obviously. Brittany Howard uh, did bass, clavinet, uh, was a composer, did drums, editing, guitars, keyboard arrangement, keyboards, lyricist, percussion, produced it, and did string arrangements. Uh, Carrie K. Anderson is the uh, worship leader that they pulled the sample from on uh, the third song on the album. I'm forgetting mm. the name of it at the time. Uh, Lloyd Buchanan uh, did the organ. Zach Cockrell, which is also the bassist in Alabama Shakes. Uh, was did bass on this album as well. Robert Glasper did the Celeste, also helped compose stuff and did keyboards. Larry Goldings did keyboards. Paul Horton did clavinet, uh, was also a composer and did some key arrangements as well. Lavina Meyer was the harpist. Uh, Rob Moose was on strings. And then Nate Smith was uh, helped compose stuff, did drums, percussion, and also the vibraphone. Nice. Um, so Brittany Howard has, has a few different projects in general, uh, Alabama Shakes being the main one, but also did a uh, Thunder Bitch, which is a more classic rock outfit, and then Bermuda Triangle Band, which is more of like a, a country blues mm-hmm. band as well. Um, so she started playing guitar when she was 13. That was the first time she was able to pick up and, and play uh, guitar. And she says that she was influenced by the band Yes, Pink Floyd, Cream, Gil Scott Heron, Marvin Gaye. David Bowie, Led Zeppelin, uh, among many, many others. Uh, the first time she really was like, this is what music can sound like is when she was in the backseat of um, Zach Cockrell, uh, the bassist mm-hmm. um, for Alabama Shakes Car, because they, they went to high school together. Mm-hmm. And just hanging out with him and his friends and sitting in the backseat and be like, this is what rock and roll music can sound like. And that's where it's like, yes, uh, Cream, other right. big 80s rock bands and stuff like that. Um, so really big in like the 70s and 80s rock music is what really influenced her mm-hmm. uh, when she was younger. Um, this album came during a time where she was facing a writer block, 
writer's block and when Alabama shakes went and started their hiatus, which is most likely going to be an indefinite hiatus until they find a different yes. drummer. Seems like it's ongoing. I don't know what uh, is there some tea oh, with that or okay. So uh, they went on hiatus because Brittany Howard had writer's block and just wanted to explore music in different realms. And you know they were just like we've been touring nonstop since like 2015. Mm-hmm. It is tw- late 2018. We would like a break. Um, and then during the hiatus, their drummer, which I forget his name. Um, was arrested on suspicion of domestic abuse. Uh, charges were dropped, and then he was arrested again for domestic abuse, and is I believe he's serving jail time now. So, yeah, Alabama Shake's going to be on a bit of a hiatus for a while, maybe never coming back, which is unfortunate, but also, like, fuck that dude. Yeah. Also, like, fuck that dude. Bunch of bullshit. Fucking asshole. Oh. Um... So, uh, because she was facing writer's block, and that was one of the main reasons that the Alabama Shakes just went on a hiatus, uh, she took an incredible long drive. I think it was cross-country or semi-cross-country. And during the drive, she was reflecting on the fact that she was about to turn 30. Mm -hmm. So she just started reflecting on her her entire life, what she has experienced, personal beliefs, what how her family dynamic got her to where she is today, and just all of that stuff. And that was the catalyst for the inspiration of what this album was going to be, which was a exploration and an expression of who she is, her life, what she's been what through. What brought her to this point. And what like, brought her yeah. to this point. Um, the name of the uh, album, uh, Jamie, is named after her older sister, who passed away when she was 13 from retinoblastoma, which is a very rare form of cancer in the eye. And that... Brittany herself uh, had retinoblastoma, uh, but survived, but she has partial uh, loss in uh, one of her eyes uh-huh. from it. Yeah, so she has partial um, vision vision loss. loss, yeah. Blindness. Blind, yes, thank you. Um, so that so the album's kind of dedicated to the memory of, because uh, her sister's also the first one who kind of taught her how to sing as mm-hmm. well. So kind of the catalyst of all of where she is, where she is today. Type thing. Um, this album is also an exploration of genre as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a mixture of jazz, blues, soul, funk, hip hop, experimental, uh, among with many other musical stylings as well. Yeah, that's something I really appreciate about this album. It's yeah. so varied from song to song. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll 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 get there. Yeah, and uh, the last thing I want to say is like she. This was the first time she had complete creative control over the entire musical process. Right. Uh, this was the first time she had not collaborated with someone right. on and making music. Conceptually, it makes sense that this would be a solo album yeah. as well. And so she took the entire – that in, as a freeing experience as well, which kind of helped her get past her writer's block and knowing that it allowed her to explore that entire space and kind of be like, it's all on me. People are looking towards me on what they're supposed to play. And I have to have the answer. And if I don't have the answer, then no music is going to be happening. Um, so that that helped lead to her exploring the musical space and the musical ideologies that she ultimately ended up doing as well. Um, also, she just has like a very incredible um, story, like life story, mm-hmm. like grew up in a trailer home in Alabama, grew up incredibly poor, grew up with uh, mixed race parents, 
was uh, working for the USPS before Alabama Shakes like wow. blew up. Like very very cool backstory. Highly recommend kind of reading up on on her and what kind of got her to where she is uh, in her life right now. Uh, for me, overall, like what a fucking album. Yeah. Like shit, dude. What a fucking album. It's so raw. It's so emotional. It's so exploratory in both lyrical content and musical content. Yeah. And every single exploration is good. Yeah. Which I, I think is so impressive. I, uh, we were, uh, you know, we had a little, uh, uh, pregame discussion. Uh, I, I, so unfortunately, I haven't listened to this album. Uh, I haven't given this album the listen that it deserves. Uh, just because. Life I've happens. Been, uh, life happens. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you lose water and you don't want to listen to music. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. So my first real listen to this album was today. Uh huh. Um, and fuck, there's not a bad song on this album, dude. No. I don't think there's a bad moment on this album. No. And that's what, like, no song goes past the time it needs to exist. Everything has a point. Every single musical moment of each song yeah. exists for a reason. And even when those reasons aren't um, ostensible, even when it, you know, even when uh, the motivation behind the music, behind the production isn't present, it's still palpable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's still like everything feels like there is emotion behind it. Everything feels like there is a personal motivation, even if you don't necessarily know what that is. Oh yeah. And it's so well produced as well. Like high quality production for both the more heavily produced songs that they are trying to go to and the more sparse, less produced sound that they're trying to go to. But the production on all of it is beautiful. And they do some swerves as well on the production side yeah. of it. You expect it to go one way just based off of both your expectations of Brittany Howard, if you've listened right, to what she's done Alabama shakes. or anything else that she's done, or just based off of what you expect the song to do. And it goes in a different direction, but the direction yeah. was the absolute correct and right decision to go. That would, I, mm, I might fight you a little bit on that one. Okay, that's fine. Uh, there, like, I certainly appreciate um, the, uh, the production is just as varied as the musicality throughout this album, uh, which I thoroughly appreciate. Um, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say that it was the, like, the best way to capture the music okay. in every circumstance. All but right. it's clear that it was, it was clear that there was uh, intention behind the decision to do those things. Right. And that I appreciate. And in the same way that, you know, we were just talking about uh, Wilson uh, versus Bowie, where right. yeah, like you appreciate e the intentionality e behind it, even if you don't agree with it. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, let's just get into the songs. I feel like we're we're gonna want to spend some time talking about the songs. Yeah, probably. Um, so starting at the very start, uh, history repeats. Okay, so after I made a like mention of like, oh yeah, you know, we we haven't had a few like good starters in a while. Like, the last four albums that we've done have just been like, oh, yeah. okay, you're starting strong. Coming out swinging. Coming out so stringy, uh, swinging. Yeah, this song starts as kind of a more classical, what you would kind of expect from a Britney Howard project with a, a aggressive drum kit and then some really um, talented uh, but rootsy, not overly distorted guitar work as well. Mm -hmm. And then just fully moves into funk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, I love that drum sound. I love the move that it goes as well. And then uh, we'll talk about it after we listen to this a little bit. 
the driving acoustic mixed with the very uh, rootsy, bluesy, revivalist guitar work, and then this guitar with the, one of the best envelope filters yeah. I've heard in a really long time yeah. coming alongside it. Uh, just all interplaying so perfectly. I also love, like, uh, they get out of the way quickly that this is not an Alabama Shakes album. Mm-hmm. Like, part of me was like, oh, Brittany Howard, like, I like I was ready to expect a sort of sound and color, like, esque yeah. kind Alabama of sound. Alabama Shakes-y. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, and then immediately, like, this first track, it's like, nope, that's not what we're here for <laughs> no. today, friends. Nope. Nope. This uh, is Brittany Howard. This ain't Alabama Shakes. Yeah. I definitely love that. I, yeah, production-wise, like, there are some very surprising decisions uh the bass is panned a little bit which is yeah. uh that's one of those things that's like uh that's very abnormal uh-huh. and you have to decide to do that right. you don't do that on accident and i think it makes sense with also the acoustic being a little panned as yeah. well to kind of balance that out right um it's definitely uh, um it's one of those things that uh uh, I, I've seen sort of a trend, you could call it, almost okay. recently, of uh, double-tracking bass, which mm. I really appreciate whenever I hear it. Uh, Spoon did that on their newest album. Okay. Uh, which, we're not talking about that album. We'll get to but... it. Like, one of these days, we'll get to it. <laughs> one of these days, we'll get to it. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, to well, well, like to double-track and then hard-pan both of those, so you have two, two bass tracks going, but having them both going panned it sort of centers the overall feel of the whole thing yeah um but yeah it definitely sort of like uh harkens back to early stereo mixing yeah uh where you know there were there were a lot of unorthodox decisions because there wasn't a an orthodoxy established yet they didn't know what to do with (laughs) all of the range that they had right uh but it's not distracting no um in this it's not um it doesn't detract (laughs) it does it neither distracts nor detracts uh yeah i the way this song is mixed is so uh it's so absurd but so perfect yeah and also kind of like a juxtaposition to a song we were talking about on the last album suffragette city where it's just a repeating end over and over and over again this one also does repeating the same thing over and over and over again Mm -hmm. but i think that the way that this handles it where things also get a little bit more chaotic as it, it just rapid fire. It's also so rapid fire what she's repeating. And she is just saying, history repeats and we defeat ourselves. Come on, everybody, one more time again. Mm-hmm. Just over and over and over and over again. And the guitars start to go off a little bit more and go off just a little bit more. And things get a little bit more chaotic while mm-hmm. still... A little pulled apart. Yeah. And then it just hard cuts on a hiss. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's oh, so, 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 so well done. Um, and it goes straight into He Loves Me, which is a, a fantastic take on a gospel song, mm-hmm. talking about her specific relationship with, with God and how she feels about what Jesus is. And I think this is probably the best, like, religious adjacent song, like, yeah, most positive gonna... uh, religion adjacent song we've talked about so far. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. Uh, this is, there's definitely religious overtones to some of the, I mean, you know, this being a... Uh, sort of retracing of her steps up to this point in her life, it, you know, with I would assume she had a religious upbringing. Yes. Um, the uh, 
yeah, there's a there's a sort of religious undertone that 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 is uh, present in some of the tracks in this album, um, and it's never. Uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, it's never tacky, right? It's never. It's done so tastefully, um, which is so like not common. <laughs> no, not at all. And I think it also does a really good job of explaining both a this is where i kind of currently am and i'm a, i'm okay with being like a still i consider myself a religious person mm-hmm. but also like there are issues within religion as, as well without taking pot shots yeah at it as well so it's this like very delicate balance of my relig- my religious beliefs are not what you probably assume they were were just based off of the descriptions that I have of them. Right. But they're also important to who I am as a person and how I how I grow and how I view myself currently. sample of a, a guy giving a sermon which the sermon that he gives is six reasons to not skip church <laughs> so it's very funny that uh it's very well juxtaposed that this entire song is about i do things that typical christianity says jesus would hate me for but i know for a fact that he still loves me while i'm doing all of these things right and it's a very like conservative uh kind of demeaning uh sermon that they pulled Right, uh, the sample from which I, I I really think that's good, and this is also one of the more, this is a more like what's an Alabama Shake song on this album, and it's this is probably right. one, one of the closer ones you're gonna get to it. Um, I do. This is one of those tracks where like I think that a slightly different approach to the production would have benefited the song. Okay. Um, I don't think that the decisions that they made that they made are uh, detrimental. Uh, just that uh, like the whole thing feels very compressed. I'm sure that that was a, intentional. A, an intentional decision. Um, it just, especially with headphones on. No, for sure. Um, it's for got, sure. yeah, it's got a very kind of like, even just slight EQ tweaks, I think, on mm. on uh, specifically in the bass frequencies. Um, and like, I mean, <laughs> the way the drums are tracked are ve- or, or at least processed is very uh, uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, um, but... Not necessarily in a bad way. Just... No, I, I can see how you would have like some slight quibbles. I like the dr- I like the way that they process the drums. Yeah, on this, and I think it is kind of. I don't dislike it. I'm... I think it's kind of like trying to reminisce towards this like religious sound and more gospel sound. Mm-hmm. Where, let's be honest, not people who are religious and do music are not always the most technically uh, savvy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I yeah, could I, I could gotcha. I could see that as being like a subtle intentional choice of like okay, well this is kind of like the gospel music that I grew up on and this is the choices right. that they made so how can I kind of reflect that and then change it just a little bit to be a, a bit more of like what I right. I like and whatnot I'm it's, it's this is all conjecture no idea but I could see that it's very reminiscent a, to me of what um my early recording uh mm. life sounded like. Um, me having like generalized concepts of what I like, what, what I like the sound of, i.e. 
I like things that are very warm. <laughs> right. And so also, how do I warm this up? Right. Um, Where's the microwave button? Yeah. And uh, like, it's clear that that's, you know, it, there's, there is a uh, sonic aesthetic that they are going for with this. And I appreciate that it's there. And I don't think that it's so uh, overpowering as to overshadow the track. Right. I just... You, you know, would've, you would have liked me it personally. Yeah, that's okay. I would have gone with a slightly different approach, at least to mixing it. No, for sure, for sure. But then it, that goes straight into Georgia, uh, which is a it's a beautiful kind of like soul jazzy song. Yeah, um, a specific like jazz singer, like lounge singery mm-hmm. vibe. Uh, and they do an exaggerated bass drum like every few measures, mm-hmm. where they add an like I think it's just double tracked or redubbed or something like that that I really really like mm. I think it, it adds a level of like heaviness to it uh, that they are trying to go for and I think the fact that very intentionally putting the song that is about unrequited lesbian love right after a song about Christianity right and kind of building in more kind of uh, gospel-y stuff in the middle as well as this like trying to figure out is it okay that i feel these ways a a way of sort of facing your identity and the sort of uh inherent contradiction contradictions that exist for people who grew up in a religious setting but uh are realizing these things about themselves that they've been told their whole life is not okay right i am no little boy Yeah, the, the fading away there to where the, the organ is just taking over everything and, and you know, right. organ music being incredibly tied towards uh, traditional old school Christian worship as well. Right. Like, it's just a very, very good nod. Uh, um, I, <laughs> no, go ahead. You're good. Uh, every time I, I think I listened through this album t- three-ish times today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Again, I did not listen to I did not give this the proper listen that it deserved. Uh, but every time this song came on, I was singing along to it, not knowing the words, but just like you know, uh, singing the you melody. Know, the, cor- yeah. the chorus is this repeating section, and so I would I would be riffing yeah. on it as it was going on, even though it was only like my second time listening to it. Right. And every time I was just like, this song's so so good. It's it so good. Yeah. Um, there's also kind of like a double on not entendre, but like double meaning to the song as well mm-hmm. because it could also theoretically be about the state of Georgia and how the state of Georgia is like. So much shit's going on there, especially right. as a, a black woman seeing what Georgia is doing as a state and just kind of being like, I, I just want to tell- I want to be recognized as a human being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. By um, by the people running this godforsaken country. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but again, just incredibly great juxtaposition throughout this entire song. And, and I really think they this is very beautiful very very beautiful song um and then it goes straight into stay high which is so fucking mellow mm-hmm. and the vibraphone carries this song in the best fucking <laughs> way why why do pop musicians not use vibraphone as much as they fucking should 
That's my complaint. I forgot vibraphones existed until I listened to this song, and now I'm mad at everyone else that doesn't use vibraphones. Yeah, I'm mad too. I don't remember what a vibraphone sounds like right now, but I'm also upset. It's a xylophone that has that uh, vibrates that has fans at the bottom, so it creates a, a kind of vibrato sound coming out of it. Okay, it's fucking great. Um. <laughs> uh, also, her voice is so fucking good on this song. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, this entire album, like, I knew Brittany Howard was a good singer, but I did not know how, like, talented and powerful powerful her... Really? Like, I like. okay, so it's one of those things where, like, you know that they're a good singer, but in the context of, like, blues roots rock and kind of having that, like, deep, soulful voice. Yeah. But the range of her performance on this album specifically was just like, Oh damn. I didn't know you could go there. Like I knew you had a good voice for this one, for this sound. I didn't know that that could translate to a, a larger variety of my, genres. My first experience with any songs from sound and color were live videos that a friend of mine was posting on Facebook every Ooh, other day. Okay. Yeah. And so that like seeing her singing live, you can't like you can't there, there is it doesn't even matter what song it is it's just like holy shit she can sing oh oh okay, my god and then later you. you're like holy shit she can play guitar mellow in comparison to everything else and stripped back in comparison to everything else on this album so far but it still goes as hard as everything else on the album so far yeah i i this is another one where it is it feels a little too compressed for me okay like i'm not you wish you know i'm not saying that i have a good enough ear to be like uh you know this is exclusively the problem but it feels I mean, especially with headphones on, uh, that's, I'm sure, part of it. Mm. Also, these are not great reference headphones. They're not, like... Right, they, yeah. They they definitely color the sound, but um, I... Uh, this, this is certainly an album I am going to get on vinyl. Like, this is the... Oh, yeah, <laughs> this, no, this, this, this is, is the for first, sure, yeah. This is the first time that I'm not just, like, I would get this on vinyl. Like, I'm going to pick this up in the future. Yeah. As, as soon as I have expendable income. Uh, well, not if you buy all those rugs. Oh damn, that's true. Uh, this was this was a necessary purchase. No, our previous drum rug got stolen, sort of commandeered. Anyways, anyways. indefinitely. Anyways, uh, but the uh, uh, yeah, I like I bring that up because um. When it comes to mastering, there's uh, there's this sort of expected loudness right. output for uh, you know for yeah. for uh, general um, releases, uh, and that expected level has just incrementally in- incrementally gotten higher and higher and higher right. over the years, um, and the only way to do that is to bring everything up Raise the and, floor and squish the it more yeah. and more and more um and that's that's part of the sort of like vinyl revival is that when you are mastering for vinyl it's a completely separate process mm. um because it has to g- i'm not gonna get into it but anyway yeah. <laughs> uh you don't 
when you put a record on you're putting it on and you have the volume right there and it's part of it's part of listening to a record is adjusting the, the volume yeah. to 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 what you want and the loudness like yeah and the loudness and and whatnot and, yeah. yeah um now i get what you're saying and so like yeah i think that i i also i'm sure that britney murphy spent a good Power. amount of time listening to records or sorry, why did I say Brittany Murphy? No idea. That's the voice of Luann on King of the Hill. Sorry. That's probably why. <laughs> uh, Brittany Howard. Sorry, I'm sure that Brittany Howard spent spent plenty of time listening to records mm-hmm. uh, at some point in her life, um, and I'm sure that that that's a sort of influence on uh, any sort of input that she has on production. Right. Uh, and so it just kind of hurts me, I guess, that like, <laughs> you, you know, this is an warmer. album that I'm going to get on vinyl yeah. and I want to be able to know that like, it's not being squashed to hell. I mean, it might not be on vinyl and they, they just may have squashed it to hell for the digital release. You yeah. Know. I mean, I would hope so, but you know, at the same time, like you can't, uh, you can't drastically change right. how it's going to sound from one medium to another, mm-hmm. uh, Anyway, huge tangent. Just no, to, what, just to say that you're okay. That's I, probably my only real complaint with any of the production on this album is just that uh, some of it sounds really squashed, and I feel like uh, it's sort of in uh, it's sort of a disservice sometimes. Not uh, not detrimentally so, but but there's just a part of me that's like we could just pull that apart a little bit. You, yeah, you're just and like it sounds so good. <laughs> you just want it to sound better. Not that it doesn't sound good. <laughs> you just want it to sound like that 1% better. Yeah, I'm not saying it sounds bad. I'm just saying it, it could sound amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to skip tomorrow because I, I think tomorrow is a really good song, but it's a little bit more on, on the basic side mm-hmm. um, on the album. So we're going to go over to Short and Sweet. Because I've been hurting all alone. It didn't kill me, no, but it wasn't no fun Come and get you some Just the beginning Just a great, like, kind of lounge, singery uh, jazz club, for sure. Like, if this was being played on a piano, it would definitely be a jazz singer, but mixing in the very, very sparse acoustic guitar. Yeah. Oh, it just hits. It just hits it's, on an emotional it level so well. God, just what a. And again, like that's very different. That's a very different li- um, strip back, less produced song than "Stay High." Yeah, and it's different than everything else we've heard on the album so far as well. But it does it so masterfully, right? And it and the thing is, um, I think this is where. Uh, I, I hate to talk so much about the production on this album. It's just that because of the few listens that I had through it, that's sort of where it stood, I was, it stood out to you. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of just where my brain was at, I guess. Um, but the uh, I think that this is where uh, production decisions uh, can can. This is an example of how production can, uh, decisions can drastically change more than people realize. Right. Um, where even though this is you know, you could argue that this is the acoustic ballad of this album. Right. It doesn't feel like, oh, here's the acoustic ballad on this album. Mm-hmm. And I think that a huge part of that is the production decisions, the way that uh, the microphone that they that was chosen for her vocals, the uh, the 
level of compression on that guitar and the noticeable hiss that's going on in the background <laughs> the entire time, um, it lends this sort of um, it lends this sort of natural feel and it makes it kind of have this kind of soulful uh, sort of uh, old worldness to it uh, yeah. that very much. Uh, fits the sonic aesthetic of yeah. the entire album for sure it, it feels very much kind of i think this is a really good example of her borrowing from kind of like black musicians of the past mm -hmm. in kind of like the 1910s 1920s black music being recorded in a very specific sort of way because they were only allowed to record in very specific places very specific recording studios with such a limited amount of money so they had to kind of do everything as kind of one takey as possible right. with a limited amount of uh, microphones as possible into right. not the not the highest quality machines, you know, yeah. as well. And so all of that very natural um, analog decay that would happen due to just the uh, restrictions that were placed yeah, upon that. I, you know, if I had to venture a guess, the, this sounds to me like they're using ribbon microphones on, mm -hmm. on both her vocals and the guitar, and that those are the only microphones that are being used. And be, and ribbon microphones have a very low output, which means that you have to really you you have crank, to it up. crank up the preamp, <clears throat> and that it's going into... Uh, it's going into a tape machine, or it's it's at least going through some sort of uh, analog, um, probably tube-driven preamp that's yeah. prone to noise, um, and that that's uh, like yeah, it, it, you know that would be my guess. There's it, it, that can easily be replicated with more modern tools, but that's definitely um, what it feels like the intention right. of this song specifically was, and this is the only time that they do that on the entire album mm -hmm. as well, which is, that's usually a, a sound that people try to achieve throughout an entire album. Right. And she's like, no, this one song needs this sound to convey exactly what it needs. And then we're just never going to touch it again. Right. Um, and then that goes straight into 13th century metal, which is one of the highlight. Like it is not the most catchy song. Certainly not. But it is such a... This is the most experimental I think it gets. Absolutely. And it's a it's a weird, like, avant-garde jazz spoken word, like, beat poet, kind of metally... Like, not metally, it's but not kind of metally <laughs> song. Like, it, it has the, like, intent... Like, the intention behind, kind of like what metal songs kind of have an intention behind of, like, a, a darkness yeah. to it. Uh, I, it's... Uh, uh, we were talking about this earlier, and it's like the first. I mean, there's no vocals for the first like minute. I want to say at least. Uh, I, this I is could a different song. Because Goathead is the one that's oh, the chill out. Yeah, you're right. You're totally taking a uh basically a missionary like a christian missionary's creed basically of like i am gonna 
go across the world and spread the the gospel to those who haven't heard. Yeah. And transforming the meaning behind it to this like more broad universalist like we are all part of this thing and we all should be striving for love and peace and prosperity for everyone right and using this slightly it feels slightly and and really meaning everyone really meaning everyone uh and using this very like hip-hop like early hip-hop in style like breakbeat right drums going on with a little bit of uh a little bit aggressive and it, oh. yeah, and a little bit of Rage Against the Machine guitar as well of using the guitar to make non-guitar sounds, right? Um, and then it, it it goes later into the song and it it starts to sound like this. You will go. Just completely kind of changing the entire vibe of the song. Yeah, I fucking love the kick drum in that section. It's so like, good. It's, it's like a little dirty and like a little. It's like a little trashy, but it's so. Oh, oh this is very. It's a very trashy drum set in the correct way that you want a drum set to sound trashy. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Like I mean, it has a whole sound to it, but like that kick drum specifically, what I uh, I love that sound. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good, um, and that's the longest song on the album. And it's less than five minutes, but it also has so many musical movements and and moments within it as well. And it's just so, such a high point. Mm-hmm. Um, Baby is. I I feel like we can kind of skip it. Uh, it's it's fine. It's probably it's probably the most fine. But that still just means like, oh, this is a good song. Yeah, it's of... good. It's good. It's definitely. It's just probably less interesting for us to talk about yeah um, i would say the song that is definitely the most interesting for us to talk about is goathead uh which is a it is just a chill hop song that the lyrics are about uh the racial uh violence and discrimination that she experienced as a mixed race child and her black father would feel yeah uh what the fuck yeah it's you you uh, uh we were talking earlier, and I think there's no lyrics for at least, like, the first minute of this track. It's for a it's, while, yeah. It's quite a while that there are no lyrics, and you're like, yeah, it's uh, it's very easy to get into and a sort of, like... Lo-fi, chill, hoppy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very nice and agreeable, and then the lyrics come in, and you're like, oh, sweet, we got vocals on this? That's sick. And then you start listening to the lyrics, and you're like, oh, fuck. Oh, oh, fuck. And your head stops bobbing. And cotton like it's such a good exploration on like the racial discrimination and violence that you know she experiences a mixed race child and the fact that her mom as a white woman having a black husband and a mixed race like child also got racially discriminated against yeah and, and hated and all that stuff and it's just and this entire time, it's just like this is one of the better chill hop songs I've listened to in a while. <laughs> right, like the it's uh, so deceptive. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, so well done. I yeah, I don't want to. Uh, 
I don't want to get too into the lyrical content on this one. No. I mean, not only not just because I didn't listen to this nearly as much as I should have, but uh, you know, also that like we are both fully aware that we are no, uh, no, no, yeah. cis white males, and that we're not, you know, we're we're not going to pretend to uh, relate to any of the uh, no any of the stuff that's explained in this song, but yeah. just. Uh, I don't know. There are just so many people that don't understand that this is still still such a major issue in our world and that like our society has been built out of this abhorrent hatred of others. Yeah. And like, yeah, having such a uh, a personal song on this. Uh, I mean, you know, this song, this album is full of personal tracks, but mm-hmm. I yeah. Having this one that just sort of hits you over the head out of nowhere yeah. What like sets you up to be like, oh sweet. <laughs> and then it being yeah. like, oh no, not sweet, not sweet. Well, and I think it also does a, a really good job, like the just the juxtaposition of like in general, a lot of white America does not want to admit that there's still problems mm-hmm. and kind of paper over it and play to more of like this false equivalency of a peaceful America that has never existed. Mm-hmm. And so specifically going for chill hop, which is so right, well almost, known yeah. as like the, yeah, you just chill out, you mellow, this is good vibes. You do some homework to this. Yeah, like it's in the it's same capacity, key. like sort of pretending that, that things are all right when yeah. they're not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's That's a great, uh, that's a great analogy, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> that's... So like, I, I think again, like, incredibly intentional yeah and also again pulls off chill hop so well yeah. <laughs> um which like I'm, I'm not saying that chill hop is the hardest music to make but you know it is it does require skill to to make good music no matter what the genre is yeah um and it's just a, a genre that recently sort of uh you know, it exploded in the last uh, in the last ten years or so, and and yeah. there have been a lot of people popping up making mediocre uh, lo-fi hip hop and chill hop and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that it sort of that sort of became the norm. Like that is what that is associated with. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, for sure. Um, um, but like, yeah, and again, all. All of this talent and ability to craft such a a well done song is for in one very specific way, and it's only used once. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else lo-fi uh, like the lo-fi in, in some of the drums and whatnot, but that's a different style of lo-fi. Yeah, it's more I, like an I, '80s lo-fi. Lo- lo-fi sort of permeates this whole album in, a, in to a certain degree. Yeah. But the, uh, uh, the yeah, there, like, there are different like subgenres of lo-fi, <laughs> like from song yeah, to song. Yeah, it's um, so good. But like the very specific like online lo-fi. Yeah, is mostly what, just what, here on this see, album. See, lo-fi used to be something that that I like. I would say, oh yeah, I really enjoy lo-fi sound, and people would be like, what the fuck is that? And now I say lo-fi, and they're like, oh, lo-fi hip hop, and I'm like, no, not like lo-fi hip hop. Right. It, it doesn't exclusively mean lo-fi <laughs> hip hop. There's <laughs> there's different lo-fi's out there. There's different kinds of lo-fi, and really, it doesn't mean anything. No. Um, <laughs> and then uh, just run to me, which is the the last song on the or last track on the album fantastic ender yeah and it kind of it it feels like it comes a little too soon but also when you think about it it comes at the exact right time like you don't need any more but you kind of it leaves you wanting more yeah it does that very good artistic thing where it it leaves you with just enough satisfaction but also that desire for a theoretical more a continuation yeah all the world split off 
the album but it's a very like yeah 70s kind of solely motown um 70s 80s yeah i was gonna say it's very it's got a lot of 80s vibes to it yeah so i guess um, 80s more is what i what i mean on that but uh yeah this is i i appreciate this song in the context of the album as a song by itself i yeah it's probably my least favorite that uh, by a significant margin that's very fair but uh that's not to say that it's bad uh just that it's not a it's not a banger in comparison it's it's like you know uh you can have a you can have a movie with that's full of amazing scenes and then some less amazing scenes but those less amazing scenes need to be there for the movie to make sense exactly yeah um and yeah that's kind of how this song hits for me where it's like this song needs to be here and it needs to be at the end of this album and it needs to be the way it is it's not the first track that i would listen to or the first track i would show somebody off this album no it's one of those ones where you're like if you like the album, make sure you listen to the end. Yeah, type thing. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it 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 is obvious that there is a lot of just emotion in in general, and this is kind of her bearing her soul mm-hmm. in a more uh, direct way than the rest of the album, because the entire album is her bearing her soul, but it's usually kind of produced or mixed or hidden in a a certain way, and there's something kind of there's always a layer there in in some way shape or form Mm -hmm. um outside of uh the other one that we talked about uh short and sweet Mm -hmm. um but this is like the most traditional pop ballad emotional like soulful thing um that you would expect but it's still done in a there's so many layers of synth on this song as well and it's it's done really really well yeah um so in 2019 this is what some people thought about the album uh from pitchfork uh, Sheldon Pierce gave it an 8.6 out of 10 and said, uh, Jamie is the sound of Howard coming up for air, getting to know herself better, coming to terms with her place in the world, and then proudly standing in that truth. The songs may be rooted in the same vintage soul that powers our Alabama shakes, but they reach for greater heights and greater depths. As Howard breaks all the rules, some songs super busy, others bare, she finds her way home. Yeah, that was a pretty good analysis. Yeah. I like that. That was pretty good. Uh, Greg Knott for the Chicago Tribune gave it 3.5 out of 4 stars. Don't know why the Chicago Tribune rates it out of 4 stars, but uh, he said, um, over twitchy Morse core... Uh, sorry, over twitchy Morse code keyboards and chaotic drums, Howard lays out a social contract of sorts for the, quote, brothers and sisters, unquote, for whom she shares the planet. But it's not uh, larded with the, quote, we are the world, unquote, platitudes. Instead, as with much of this revolutionary album, it's also personal. Quote, just try and do the best you can today, unquote. Howard reminds herself, quote, no matter where you've been, unquote. That was an okay analysis. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> uh, Alexandra Pollard for The Independent said that it was a platter of a psyche soul, gospel, and funk with melodies that tap and jigger like Morse code. Morse code. Ah. Apparently Morse code There's was a, a theme, theme here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, or pour out like sick, silky caramel. Jamie is about tragedy, sexuality, religion, racism, and poverty. 
There is no track on Jamie that is likely to make waves, not in the same way as some of the better-known Alabama Shakes tracks, like such as Hold On or This Feeling, but what lovely ripples it makes. Hey, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Um, but, you know, uh, it doesn't matter how pretty good or okay those uh, reviews were because they didn't give it the only score that matters. Which is that, Josh? Which uh, score? It's the, it's the only score on the official tape makers list uh, using the only official tape makers way of scoring stuff, which means we're doing it out of 24. Out of 24. Uh, I'll go first. This is a 24 out of 24 album. Um, there, I, there's, there's a few very, very small nitpicks. And if we were doing yeah. like 0.5s, it might be a 23 point, <laughs> but not even then. Like if we were doing 0.1s, it'd be like a 20, 23.8, 23.9. Right. I see. <sighs> that's the, the, see, the thing is, but we're scoring out of 24. We can get nitpicky. No, you know, I know what I'm saying? And that's what I'm saying. It's like, I, even as I nitpicky could, as we want to get, I still think it's 24 out of 24. I, could, I see. I could, I could live with a 23 out of 24. Okay. And and like it's and it's literally just the little production things. Right. Like, twenty three out of twenty four is still a fucking A plus, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that is basically like, <laughs> a perfect score. But it's not but a it's perfect score. But it's not a perfect score. score. Alright, so And it's and it's definitely not just me making sure that Eon stays in the front in the top spot. Which means we have to have this conversation again. I know we have to have this conversation again. Uh, and this is this is a conversation that I I am much more willing to have yeah, certainly. than the, the crane wife, which I texted you like two two or three days after uh, we recorded uh, the last one, right. the last episode when I was like, oh, I don't know. Is the Korean wife better than Neons? And then I went back on the Neons and was like, dude, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was wrong. I was so I wrong. I can't believe I considered that. Uh, but this is one that uh, it, I love Eons by Mary King Birds. And I think yeah. it does a great job of, of being what it is. Right. But it is much more one note as an album. And yeah, I could, I'll give I, you that. And I think the emotion that it conveys is about the same level of emotional like gravity that right. Jamie by <sighs> Brittany Howard gives as well. And on Eons by Mimicking Birds, there are some songs where it's just like, okay, maybe you didn't need this song to go on as long as it did, but I appreciate why you did. There's yeah, no you're, fat. There's no fat on you're, Jamie. You're, by always, you're always quick to say that a song is too long, Josh. <laughs> you've got you've got a lower tolerance for long songs than I do. I just think long songs need to like make have more sense to them than a lot of a lot of people make long songs because they think it's gonna like do a thing, but it it for me you're, it rarely does. You're talking to somebody whose band songs average five and a half minutes. Josh. No, I know we've had this conversation <laughs> off air multiple times. Um. I can't write a song under five minutes. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I wouldn't change it to a perfect score of twenty four out of twenty four. Uh huh. Um, like I'm, I, I, it's, it has nothing to do with eons that I gave it a twenty three no, out sure. of twenty four. Honestly, I'd give it like a, if we were doing halves, I give it like a twenty three and a half out of twenty four. Like it's, I'm getting real nitpicky about it. And you're it. allowed to because we're at twenty four. Um, the, see this, but this is where it's like how, how subjective are we on this? How objective are we on Listen, this? Because it, it is for our, me, our subjective opinion is objective. Like for me, eons is this transcendent personal journey. That's mm. like, I, I so heavily relate to the lyrical content of that album. Whereas while I 
love the lyrical content of this album and i uh like i fully like i fully appreciate everything that is said in this album uh there it's certainly also like there are parts of this that i just personally can't relate to right uh but you know does that mean that it's necessary you know i guess you know we're ranking albums we're not ranking how much we relate to the album so but also how much you relate to the album does matter on how much you like an album yeah i that's the thing so here's here's why i think here's why i think jamie is is better even on an emotional level Mm -hmm. is that yes eons does a great job of being emotionally hitting people where they are Mm -hmm. but it it's an album that relates to a a large majority of people Mm -hmm. um because it's telling mostly pretty well worn or well understood the uh not theology sorry uh political ideologies social ideologies Mm -hmm. it's talking in more broad strokes right Jamie by Brittany Howard is her basically saying, this is my life. This is what I have been through. And Mm -hmm. these are the things I have done. And this is why I am the person I am today. Yeah. And even though it is that personal, it is still incredibly relatable. Yeah. Because how she conveys the emotion and the things that she has been through and the ways that she has experienced her own life yeah i uh, l- look honestly i've spent the last five minutes just trying to delay the inevitable i knew that eons couldn't stay in the top slot forever i just i just loved that it was there and i'm glad that we both put it there but i can't i can't uh like there's no there's no bad track on this album yeah and the closest thing we have like literally the only track that i would consider skippable is the last track on the album like as an individual track but in the context of the album it needs to be there and like yeah i ah, ah, uh it, and again this is not us saying that eons by mimicky birds is bad it's just that like god what a fucking great album it sucks that this one is like just maybe better we're basically giving eons a 23 out of 24 which i can live with i i think we're giving we're basically retroactively scoring it one it's one insignificant point lower than it was before. Honestly, like we're giving eons by mimicking birds. Like a, it really sucks that two has to be a like a, a higher number than one because it'd just be great if we could give ev- like give you both ones. <laughs> but that's not how how lists work, unfortunately. But it's our fucking list. Josh. It is our fucking list, and I would really prefer my list to have Jamie number one uh, for a lot of those reasons. Uh, also, like I'm I'm sad boy in my feelings enough and. Maybe birds by eons did that and this gets me out of that but still no no eons is not a sad boy album josh i i rebuke that i rebuke that eons by mimicking birds gives me so much hope like fuck it makes me feel so like good about existence and like the the like ugh but here's the thing like, Eons is nihilism at its peak to me. And that's what I mean, is that, like, you kind of got to be a little bit of a sad boy to get the the full out of it. Not... It, it. And Fuck again, it, let's I, do it. I'm just, I'm not, I'm just saying... I, 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 the thing is, I have no good argument to say that Eons should be above Jamie. I, it's, I, I'm just sitting here waiting, like, trying to put it off as long as I can. And, like, this is the thing. is like, the reason that I keep bringing this up is because I'm like, I, I want you to bring up a thing where I'm just like, no, you're right, actually. Because <laughs> I also love Eons by Mimicking Birds. But, you know, it's it's the, the conversation has to be made. Yeah, all right. All right we're let's, doing it. Let's do it. Let's right. do it. 
We have a new number one. We have a new number one, uh, and that number one is Jamie by Brittany Howard. I am so fucking surprised. <laughs> like, goddamn. How, what, what's, what's so surprising to you? Um, like, so I hadn't listened to this album before, uh-huh. and I recommended it, because I was like, oh yeah, it's Brittany Howard's solo work. Going into it, I was like, yeah, if it's like anything, like th- how Alabama Shakes is like really, really good, you know, it's probably going to land close-ish to the top five. It might yeah. be a conversation about like, do we like this more than the Jack White album or something? It, it would kind of land in that range. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting this album to be as magnificent yeah. as it is. And so I kept on being like, okay, maybe I'm just like really surprised with the direction that it went or I'm... I'm just like really impressed that it doesn't sound like you know Alabama Shakes. I'm I'm sure there's a bad like there's this is a bad album in some way shape or form. Like there has to be something bad with it. Wait, why can I not find anything that <laughs> right. I dislike about this? I have to dislike so no I don't I don't. How is that possible? Like I think I'm just surprised by like how little yeah. negative I do have to say about this album. And that's yeah, that's yeah. that's uh that's true. I. Uh... I stick with my score of twenty three out of twenty four, but I, I'm also content with having it in the top slot. Okay, how about how about this? We'll we'll rate it twenty three out of twenty four, but it'll take number one. No, it's fine. It's fine if you like, you know, a total a total a total, a total score of twenty three yeah. and a half. Okay, I'll put that in. But it's still but it's still at number one. But it's still at number one, yeah. Because you know, you gave it a twenty four, I gave it a twenty three. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was that was Jamie by Brittany Howard. Uh, if there, there's like three albums that we've talked about so far where yeah. I'm like, you you gotta listen to this. And the three albums are Jamie, Eons, and Pieces of a Man. And yeah. Pieces of, of a Man is more just like a, this is a time and a place and a, a lyricism that you, you gotta experience. Right. I'm all fantastic. Yeah. All, all, all fantastic. Uh, so, Jared, we gotta, we gotta select what we're doing next. Yeah. I got the old D10. I got a 10. You got a 10. That means we were doing Future Perfect by Autolux. Oh, holy shit. All right. All right. Uh, it is my turn to go. Let's let's clear the deck here a little bit. Uh-huh. I have rolled a 7 the last three or four episodes that yeah. we've done. Uh, but this means... Oh, God damn it. We're... I'm excited about this, but like, my God, can we get away from folk rock in some way, shape, or form <laughs> for like more well, than one get? episode? So we're, we, we are doing Carrie and Lowell by Safian Stevens. All right. No, uh, that's good. I like, look, I've been, I, I've been needing to listen to Safian Stevens and I just haven't. Right. So I'm glad that I'm being forced to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this, this is not an album to listen to while you're doing other things. Just a heads up. Okay. This is a... Uh, this is the album that I was comparing uh, Dennis Was a Bird to right. in my mind consistently because they're both about death of parents mm-hmm. uh, and the fallout from that. Right. And this is the one where I'm like, this is just like I've, – I've read some stuff in interviews and we'll get to it next episode. But he basically was like, yeah, I thought this would help me like process my mother's death. It just made me more sad about everything because like I realized how little I had actually processed as a person. And while processing this, it just made me grieve more and more and more. Oof. So it gets dark. Okay. 
but I'm so excited. Well, I have no idea what to expect with Autolux because I literally know one song by them. Let's go. I love that song. And so I was like, <laughs> I'm so excited. Let's see, let's see what else is on this album. Uh, before we go, uh, we're just going to let everyone know where the list stands currently. Yeah. Uh, you can check out the whole list of what we've ranked totally so far, all 24 albums that we've talked about so far, which can you believe we're at 24 albums? Um. <laughs> You can find it in uh, the description of the podcast. It's it's just in there. There's a link to it. Uh, it's a, a little Google cheat. You'll be able to see all that beautiful stuff. So currently at number one is Jamie by Brittany Howard. Uh, at either one a, one B or two, depending <laughs> on how you want to rank these, it's Eons by Mimicking Birds. In uh, number three is The Crane Wife by The Decemberist. Number four is Pieces of a Man by Gil Scott Heron. And number five is Let It Die by Feist. That's a solid top five. Really solid top five. All right. And now we are moving to the bottom five of the list. The the, the least su- the supports, the, the foundation. The basement, if you will, <laughs> of uh the list. So the di- the dingy basement bathroom of the list. Alright, so the fifth worst album that we have talked about so far is Big Mess by Danny Elfman. Coming in as the fourth worst album that we have talked about so far it's 10 by pearl jam yeah one of these days 10 will get out of the bottom and we will uh no longer be forced to take a drink every single episode i'm looking forward to the day that big mess is out of the bottom five all right it could be it could be soon i yeah you know what i hope that autolux album fucking sucks that's where (laughs) i'm at right now uh but you know below 10 um, is Dennis Was a Bird by Tom Rosenthal. Uh, right underneath that is Wasteland Baby by Hoysier. And probably the the worst album that we're going to talk about. Um, is, <laughs> Please send us your worst album recommendations. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm like a few, a few episodes away from just putting on like some, some hot garbage. Some hot garbage. Hot Some like garbage. real hot garbage, uh, but you know it's uh, changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes. Like you can't have one without the other. That's, you can't obviously. have one without the other. Actually, uh, and that's by Mr. Jimmy Buffett, uh, Margaritaville himself, Mr. Margarita Man. Yeah. Man. Um. What what a bunch of really interesting and good albums that we, we're on a roll right now. Look at us go. Yeah. Good. We music. really we really got to mix this up. We got to listen. Like we we had our mediocre like. Like we listened to a bunch of bad albums, we listened to a bunch of mediocre albums, we listened to, we listened to a bunch of really good albums. We need to we need to circle back around. Yeah, we 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 need, got, get, we need to have a bad album episode again. It, yeah, I mean we did kind of. It feels like it was yesterday, but it was a month ago that we had our bad album episode. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, but it, you know, it just feels like yesterday. Uh, listeners, thank you for listening. Um, you can follow the podcast on Instagram. Uh, we update that every now and then. Uh, you can find both of us online at wherever you want to find us online at. Uh, we're not that hard to find. Uh, once again, I have been your host, Josh Doller. And Jared, what do we tell the lovely folk every single time we log off? Uh, remember to hydrate while you're drinking alcohol. And if you aren't drinking alcohol, good for you. slightly upset that Jamie is better than Eons, but, like, I could not. Yeah, no, I, like...
after listening through that album once, I was like, oh, fuck, this is a top slot contender. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then listening to it a couple of times, I was like, I have to deal with the fact that Eons is, like, like that was one of those times where it's like, uh, you know, like, like not quite that severe, but, no, the but kind, like, that yeah. same kind of like, oh, fuck, I have to deal with the fact that someday we're going to review an album that's better than Eons, yeah. and I think it's tonight. <laughs> This is, this is very intriguing. I will definitely look up yeah. look into this later. Yeah. Uh, I just I remember one time I was tracking drums and for the first time I tried uh, putting a drum on the bottom of the snare. Oh yeah, you tried to snare bottom. Yeah, and uh, I was like, this is exactly what I've been missing in my mixes. Like this is exactly mm. what I've been looking for. And yeah. like, uh, <laughs> I told Stan about it, and he was like, I've never seen the need to mic the bottom of a snare. <laughs> And then I stopped doing it, and ever since then I'm like, why did I mic the bottom of the fucking like? It's get, right, I get into yeah. the mix, and then I'm like, I should I needed fucking that. put yeah. a mic on the bottom of the snare. Both the cats are in here. Just a heads up. I know. Okay. But if they, oh oh, Mango's trying to get out. It'll be fine. <laughs> Type thing. Yeah. No. Um. And then they also do like a here's us playing with the backing track, and then here's us playing with the backing track removed mm -hmm. during their stuff as well. So. Uh. Yeah, they also did the they did Wolfpack, which is like a very basic like jazz funk minimal kit setup. Right. But they also are like, and this is why we are removing the because apparently Wolfpack um, does their uh, bass kick or their kick drum setup, uh, removing the front um, resonator head, but oh, then yeah. stuff a pillow into it. Right. And they're like, and this is why you're doing that to get this very certain like muffled but larger sound and mm -hmm. this and all that different stuff. So yeah. It's good. It's a good very, channel. Very punchy. Very punchy. 